This is Comic Geek Speak, episode 1519, Spotlight on Daredevil, The Miller Age. I'm Brian Christman. I'm Shane Kelly. I'm Adam Murdo. I'm Chris Eberly. I'm Kevin Moyer. And he's Kevin Moyer. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'm that guy. Conjunction, junction, what's your function? <laughs> Welcome. Welcome to the show, everybody. Welcome to another of our series, continuing series of spotlights uh, on Daredevil for this, his 50th anniversary of his first publication in 1964. For this episode, Chris, I guess, and Kevin, we all sort of came up with the uh, idea this is going to be the Miller Age. We made our own age episode. Indeed. Instead of silver, (laughs) bronze. He has his own age. That's exactly right. Deservedly so. Yes. So this episode will cover, I believe, issues of Daredevil from 158 to 191. Correct. As well as we'll touch on the uh, the Elektra book as well. We'll reference uh, just Elektra Assassin, Mm -hmm. uh, the Daredevil Love and War Graphic novel by Miller and Bill Sinkovich, mm-hmm. who all, they also did Electra Assassin. Mm-hmm. And we'll mention Born Again, but we're going to talk about that in more detail in the future. Yeah, we right. need to save that. Yeah. So the time frame for this is 70... 1979 to about 1982. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, only a couple years, but three a lot, years of a lot going phenomenal. on. Pants, I have two things to say before we begin. You raise your hand very kindly. Yes. Go right ahead. <laughs> First of all, I want to wish you, Pansy, a belated happy birthday. Oh, thank you very much. <laughs> and I, as I listened to the last previous episode, Murd, I'll get you a soft cover anytime, baby. <laughs> 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 wow. What kind of promise is that? <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, an we, in-joke. We, we do have some fun here every now and then. Very although. deeply in. Every now and then. Are you kidding me? <laughs> I'm ready to plunge in right now. A little <laughs> clubhouse. Whoa, well. <laughs> Keep your plunger out of this. Shane. Wow. This episode is brought to you by the fine folks at InStockTrades.com. Go to InStockTrades.com for ordering trades and hardbacks. If you see it on the website, it is in stock. Currently, there's save 70% on select Marvel titles. There is 70% on select Dark Horse titles. And you get 2% extra on your orders if you click there for details. <laughs> um, I always like going through the top 10 sellers. Mm-hmm. Number 10 is the Inkel Heart Inkal, I-N-C-A-L, hardcover, volume one, new printing. Number nine is Lazarus Hardcover, volume one. The Th- Thor God of Thunder Hardcover, volume one, is number eight. Number seven is the original Sin Hardcover. Number six is Howard the Duck Omnibus. Yes. <laughs> Get out Alias Omnibus takes the number five spot. That's a new printing as well. Deadpool and Cable Omnibus is number four. Number three is the Wake hardcover. That looks pretty good. I like the first issue. Saga Deluxe Edition hardcover volume one is number two. And number one is the Fantastic Four by Hickman Omnibus volume two. Whew. Look at the (laughs) Omnibus taking up the the domination of the top ten. So go to InStockTrades.com and order hardcovers ba- hard and trades. Again, if it's on the website, it's in stock. I love their sales. Yes, yes, absolutely. 
This episode of Comic Geeks Speak is also brought to you by our newest sponsor, Comic Castle. Check out their website at comiccastle.com. They offer back-issue comics, action figures, and collectibles. Uh, their back-issue comics do actually go as far back sometimes as the Silver Age. Uh, their action figures, they of course have superhero figures, but Star Wars and Star Trek figures as well. And with their collectibles, they do have, you know, statues, busts, pop vinyl figures. Uh, so check them out. Uh, when you get your comics shipped, uh, they ship $3.95 as a flat fee for as many comics as you can, uh, as, you, as you decide to order. Uh, and all orders of comics over $5 are shipped in a rigid cardboard box with the comics secured in bubble wrap inside. Uh, anything else on the website that you order gets free shipping. Now, they're a, a small family, family business, so they uh, means you know, more attention to detail. And they actually have created a code just for Comic Geek Speak because they actually listen to our podcast. So use the coupon code CGS10, that's CGS10 at checkout, for an additional 10% off your order. They're adding new stock to inventory almost every day, so please check them out, comiccastle.com. All right, so yes, the our, again, our own Miller Age is what this episode is going to be about with Daredevil. Um, there, there may be some crossover into more of a Frank Miller spotlight because he's so very important. I was hoping to encourage that. Actually. Yeah. So, okay. Yeah. I have so this is just going to be all over the place. Now, my question now, since Shane murdered myself, I'm pretty sure I weren't reading Daredevil at the time. I think were you two gentlemen reading? You know, Kevin and Sh- I'm pointing <laughs> Kevin and Chris in the studio. Were you reading Daredevil at this time? I was. Okay. Uh, yes. Not. Well, there's a story behind it, but. By the time we get into the latter part of his run, yes, I am. Okay. and then I went back and read the, the earlier stuff. So, what was your take on Frank Miller? Did, did he burst on the scene to you guys? Was he like, "Oh my God, this is this is something completely different"? What was your at that time your thoughts on Kevin? Frank go Miller? ahead. Uh, for me, um, well, I I obviously got introduced to his Daredevil when I because I used to buy all Spider Man stuff, you know, and and I had the Spectacular Spider Man twenty eight and twenty nine. Which is where he first drew Daredevil, and and it stood out. You know, it was it was different because I mean, you take this into consideration. You know, in that run of Peter Parker's Spectacular Spider-Man, you're talking about like villains with the Hypno Hustler and things of that nature. <laughs> you know what I mean? So when you get the twenty, you know, these two issues that he did, that he did the artwork for, and I didn't write, he did the artwork for him, but it was it was significantly, you know, different. Um, and I thought very cool. Um, and it was unique because when I looked at how he drew Spider-Man and how he drew Daredevil, it was almost like natural. You know what I mean? It was like his Daredevil looked really cool. And Spider-Man looked good too. I mean, I used to look – when I started getting into Frank Miller then, like when he was doing – like he did some Spider-Man – Amazing Spider-Man annuals. Yes. And, mm-hmm. and he was doing covers and all this stuff, and I, and I really got into him. Um, and obviously when he was doing his run on, on Daredevil um, – but his art, for me, as somebody who came to comics as an, an art lover, yes, I really enjoyed his artwork. It was something that was, and you know, it, it was um, very profound for me. You know, it's something I fell in love with right away, um, and I was enjoying the stories that he wasn't writing. Um, and then, obviously, when he took over as writer, it just you know went on an animal of its own. So, yes, my first exposure to Frank Miller was in Daredevil, and I remember I was at a local indoor flea market, and I'm assuming with one of my parents, and they and they bought for me, and it was a very recent back, so maybe it had only been out 
a year or less. Daredevil 181, The Death of Electro. <laughs> ah. And wow. so I was maybe 10 or 11 years old. Um, my parents were liberal about what I could read and watch. <laughs> I mean, I'd already seen The Godfather by this point and tons of other stuff. But so I opened this book and I knew already knew Daredevil from Son of Origins, you know, the first mm-hmm. appearance yeah, right, right. and, you know, um, issue 47 we've yep. talked about. So I had, and I'd read a lot of his Bronze Age comics in back issue form. Mm-hmm. This, that comic, and we'll talk about this in more detail when we get there in the checklist. It completely blew me away. Yeah. I had never seen violence like that in a comic book. And when I, I don't mean that negatively, I mean the way it was rendered. Um, the combat scene between Bullseye and Electra, it, I, I think, is a transformative moment in the way violence is portrayed in comic books, without question. Um, and as a young kid, you know, approach, you know, starting to move from into the teen years, that just rocked my world. I mean, it blew me away. Um, and when we get to that, I'm also going to talk about, because I, I didn't appreciate this until I was much older, how important Klaus Jansen is to all of this. Mm-hmm. And as I revisited this work, he does not get as the credit he deserves because a lot of the a lot of the illustrations we're looking at, it's pretty much – Kevin, I'd say at least 75 percent Klaus Jansen. Would you agree with that? Uh, Especially as we get into the later run. I mean in the latter yeah, run, yeah. obviously Miller was only doing breakdowns. He's doing breakdowns, one. yeah. You know, so, That's what I mean. So yeah, yeah so Jansen was doing finished art. You know, yeah. he wasn't inking. He was doing finished art. Yeah. So I don't know if I'd say seventy five percent because I mean, obviously, you know, I think about it. Well, at least fifty fifty. I, w- I minimum, yeah, that yeah. I would totally agree yeah. with. I wouldn't say seventy five, but I could go fifty fifty because I think, I think for the amount of issues he did finished artwork on, equivocate. You know, with him also doing the inking. Yeah. You know what I mean? I I I, I totally agree with that. And so I'm sorry. Oh, saying that's an interesting point. I want to just diverge for a minute. Um, I'm I'm big fan of original comic book art and work on some of the forms. And there was some debate about this, you know, who did what, especially when pieces go up for auction, you know, who yeah. did what for that. Mm-hmm. And in back issue, issue 21, which you have in the CGS library, um, it's all about a, a d- devils, you know, Daredevil, Blue Devil, mm-hmm. and uh, other things. And there is a nice article where they talk about Frank Miller and Klaus Chance's collaboration, who did what when, you know, like you mentioned – breakdowns uh like there actually was a quote i found online from klaus jansen real quick says Mm -hmm. just to set the record straight though frank went to eight and a half inch by 11 inch breakdowns on issue 179 not 185 and he was doing breakdowns on the boards for a handful of issues before that so yeah the collaboration yes clearly there is a lot of Klaus Jansen's oh, yeah. took Influence. a lot of this. Yeah. And again, it, it's above my pay grade, you know, who inked what and pencil what, but th- it's a great debate. And it's, it's very interesting, but this is a good uh, spot to read more about in back issue 21. Well, back issues with the top magazines out there. Yes. Yeah. Um, but, and I, I want to emphasize, I don't look at this as like a Lee Kirby controversy. I mean, Miller and Jansen both praise each other all the time. Oh, absolutely. But um, it's, it's just interesting. I, how I, just, I just, I just, it was for me just re- reading a lot of these stories again and doing the research. I had forgotten or just never realized when I was younger how important Jansen is. And like when you get to issue 190 where Elektra is, quote, resurrected, mm-hmm. that, a lot of that is Jansen. Yeah. Because uh, I think Miller was doing so much work. I mean one thing, one thing I totally forgot was about by the age of 30, Frank Miller had already done this oh, huge yeah. amount of transformative work in the comic book medium. Dark Knight Returns, Daredevil um, – had he done year one, Batman, or maybe maybe shortly after that? Uh, well, after he yeah. left Daredevil, he worked yeah. on Ronan. Ronan, yeah, uh, Ronan with DC, Electra and... Assassin. I mean, this you know, this is 
Yeah, I mean, Ooh, he started young. I mean, yeah. I mean, he went, you know, this was a, a phenomenal body of work for yeah. a period of time. And, and you know, I it, it to me, I, when I look at the Jansen, Frank Miller, and I, again, you know, when this stuff was coming out, like you said, you know, I'm sure if you started with 181 and then continued from there, in my experience, when I was when when Frank stopped, left the book, you mm-hmm. know, when he stopped doing breakdowns, Jansen still did the artwork. He did, yes, for a while. Solo. Yeah. So he drew and inked. The artwork, and I didn't enjoy it as much, and that's just my personal perspective. I'm not putting it down. I, I've, uh, it's one of those things. It's one of those artists I've come to learn to appreciate afterwards. Mm. But I noticed the change. You know. Oh yeah, I agree with you. You know, but I'm not saying it sucked. I'm just, you know, I'm just saying for me, it was. I noticed enough, so that showed me that the influence that still Miller had, even though only doing breakdowns, still was a significant. Oh, absolutely. uh, Contribution. but I, I, you know, they both deserve equal credit. I mean, um, I should say, you know, acknowledgement because of uh, their, both of the input. I mean, obviously, he Frank wrote it and yeah. did the breakdowns. But, uh, you know, Klaus contributed uh, considerably to the artwork, and it should be well noted. And one of the things uh, – I've actually read these stories in the past, and I revisited what I could find <laughs> of them for this episode to freshen up. And – Knowing about Frank Miller's influences, you see a lot of um, Will Eisner's a spirit, especially, oh, especially yeah. in the, We're gonna the, talk t- about that. the title yeah. pages yeah. Yeah. where you see working like the title into the backgrounds there. That's clear Eisner influence there. Now, did you start reading them since you started on Daredevil with like Kevin Smith stuff? I think that's that when I, I, I got a couple – I got the Visionary Trades, mm-hmm. Volumes 1, 2, and 3 of, of Frank Miller. And uh, I actually have several of the back issues um, just scattered around my house. I'm not sure where they are. Um, I would have liked to grab a few of those because I actually have some things where there's letter columns about the time. I'd love to look into that, you know, like Miller breaking on the scene. We'll, we'll get to that later. But uh, I'm sorry. I, guys, again, feel free to jump in here because we have a nice little outline from Christopher. Well, yeah, here, I but... thought what we'd do is let's uh, – and I, Pants, I think you made a good point. I think we're going to talk about not just Daredevil but Frank Miller in general. It's kind of hard happen. not to. Yeah, yeah. because he, he – the time period we're looking at, the very end of the 70s into the early to mid-80s, I mean, he is one of the superstars in comics at that time. And he's doing so much, in, 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 in with so, not just with Daredevil, with other characters uh, as well. And, um, uh, you know, Frank Miller today is in his late 50s. And is he really? Yeah, he was born in 1957. Yeah. Wow, um, okay. So, you know, he did a, a, lot of, a lot of significant work after this time period. I think it's fair to say, though, he's most remembered and his greatest impact is in the area we're going to be looking at here. We're not even talking about his DC stuff, for that right, matter. Right, right. Um, or know, his independent Knight, stuff. Yeah, right. yeah, that. Yeah, Dark Knight Returns, Year One. Uh, later on, you get into um, what's the futuristic uh, Martha Washington. Martha Washington, Washington thank you. Yeah. Of course, much later on, we get into Sin City. But um, when I think about Frank Miller, uh, this is the era that I, I, I really think about. Um, what are what are let's start with just what are people's initial impressions of, of Daredevil from this time period well, as we always do like if well, from our own experiences pants why don't you start what well I had uh, again not realized that Miller wasn't necessarily writing the book right away and didn't really know too much about him before if I could just pause for a minute because I want please, to read please. read the very first the introduction from the splash page from the very first issue of Daredevil he drew issue one fifty eight. I'm sure Marvel was like this a lot of time with promotions in the books, but this actually really, I think, rings true. It's a splash page in the bottom left corner. It says, from time to time, a truly great new artist 
will explode upon the Marvels team like a bombshell. Confidently, and it's what says Rampin' Roger McKenzie, Kinky Klaus Jansen, <laughs> Joe Rosen, George Russos, Amiibo Al Milgram, and Jim Troubleshooter confidently predict newcomer lanky Frank Miller is just such an artist. Hmm. I mean, sort of prescient, odd. prescient. Yes. And actually, as to tie it to literally within the last hour, as this episode was being recorded, the that original art page went up for auction on Heritage Auctions. Huh. It was originally auctioned off by them in November of 2011 and went for almost $6,000. We were watching, listening to it live before, before you got here, Chris. It went for over double that. It ended with all the protect, the premiums at almost $17,000. Wow. It went for $16,730. And it was funny because it got to like 7000 and they were calling last call. Yeah. And it was like, okay, auction closed. And all of a sudden somebody chimed in with a last-second auction and reopened it, and it and just it went nuts. It just yes. kept going. It was just like to think it almost stopped at seven, yeah. and ended up going yep. for fourteen, you know, plus the premiums. So, and again, the splash page doesn't have Daredevil on no. it. There's no one in costume on nope. it. It's just you know, Foggy, Heather. I mean, Natasha. Yeah. She's got her hair like ponytailed, basically. Yeah, has a robe on. Has a robe yeah, on. Yeah. But it's the first Frank page yep. of Frank Miller illustrating Daredevil in the Daredevil book. Clearly, somebody wanted it. It all takes two, two to tango for these auctions. So, again, <laughs> I, I think a lot of, of the artwork for this era, because this is very sought-after artwork uh, in the artwork, clearly, um, with, with um, Frank Miller on Daredevil. I mean, pages go for as thousands of dollars. Um, so that's what I think of, of this era as. Of course, you think of uh, – I think of like Bullseye and Electra and the Kingpin coming and he, his – the first time I think we see Kingpin in Daredevil is, is this run well, here. Well, and we're going to talk about Millard completely transforms the Kingpin. Oh, absolutely. And his place in the Marvel Universe. Well, and, and, and yeah. Bullseye as well. Yeah. I yeah, mean. Absolutely. You know. I mean, he, he really, he takes what has been before and just, com- like, he puts his own, you know, sh- spin on everything and, and creates this universe that is just so full and so rich and... Characters you were already exposed to now have such depth, and, absolutely. And it's just, it's just that's what's so compelling about this work is that these, I mean, these these plots, and he had plots running behind that didn't come to fruition for issues, and you know everything seems so well thought out and and so well produced, um, and that's what you know. It, I mean, this and Munch and Sinkevich Moon Knight. I mean, this are the two books for me in this time period that were. That were it. I mean, you know, completely influential and so profound. Oh, absolutely. You know, that these books were just – they just blew me away. I mean, I just fell in love with both of these, and, and it's just impacted me ever since. And and I, there's just not much – I you know, that there's too much I can say about these things. But, I mean, I love it. I mean, I love Frank Miller's take on Daredevil. I, I mean, I, I, he just he, – it's just like – but you know peanut butter and jelly. I mean, they fit. It's so <laughs> perfect together. It, it it lends it. He loves you know Frank has that noir and like you said with the spirit. You know those type of influence. That's what he brings to this. So it's you got kind of a little bit of that superhero, but it's more of that crime noir that he brought into this book, which just is perfect. It's so perfect for this character. It fits so well. And and to me, they were kind of real stories in a way. You know, like with the. Storyline with the election, you know, with the mayor election oh, yeah. and everything that was going on behind the scenes. I mean, t- that stuff was, I don't know. I mean, to me, that was just, it was so fresh and so, 
Um, and it added that element of realism to me. You know, it was just that was something that was really cool about it. And you're here, sir. I love it. Shane. Now, now Kingpin was primarily Spider-Man villain at that point. Oh yeah. Yes. Okay. Since the Silver Age. Where was Bullseye before this? He was a Daredevil. Daredevil was, Bronze Age. Just always Daredevil. Yeah. He had only had, up until two. I think was his first appearance. We talked yes. in the last episode. Yeah. We was. in the last last show we did. I mean, he had only appeared three times. Three or four, because there was that two-parter in the TV studio, yeah, I think. And, and then there was the one 140s. before that where he attaches a daredevil to that ridiculous big crossbow. Yeah. And then so before that was his four. first appearance. Three or four times, okay. yeah. But, I mean, that's it. And they were just, you know, like, you know, two single yeah, issues one and one double. Yeah. yeah. And that was it. So he, he was just, you know, Marv Wolfen introduced him as a villain. And, you know, he's utilized a little bit. Um, but spectacular. But Frank just explodes with him. You know, I okay. mean, just takes it and runs with it. Shane, what are your initial thoughts? Well, the only issue I've read is the one preparing for this is The Death of Electra. I've never read any of it at all. Was that your first time reading that issue? Yeah, yeah, it was. What's your impression? I'm curious because, I um, mean, I, I, you know. I, I took that issue and related it to when I first read G.I. Joe number 21 because there's a lot of silent panels in that issue yes. that tell a great story with no words at all. And, and that, you know, that, that issue of G.I. Joe was the first one I read, and I thought, mm. what, what the hell's wrong here? <laughs> um, but the artwork is fantastic. I had never, I don't even know that I've ever looked at an issue, uh, by, was it Klaus Jansen drew this? Was Miller and it? Miller and Jansen. Um, yeah. I don't know that I ever looked at any issues before that. I mean, I've paged through a couple trades here and there, but never looked at anything in depthly. Um, but that was, a, it was a lot of fun to read that issue. It was, it was an experience cause I had never done it before. I wasn't sure where everybody is because I asked Pants this if it's the end of or in the middle of a storyline. He said it was, so mm-hmm. I'm kind of going in it just right in the middle of whatever, but I still got everything that was going on. Um, it was interesting. Uh, Bullseye really had a really had it out for Daredevil, yeah. and um, I think the artwork more than than the words when those wordless pa- pages came by really told the story very very well for what Bullseye was trying to accomplish by getting Daredevil and getting Elektra. I had no idea the reason he was killing Elektra. Mm. It was such a simplistic, selfish thing. I thought it was grander than that. Not that it's still not powerful, but I was surprised that that's all it was. I mean, you figure, I mean, she was only introduced, you know, 168, 168. So 13 issues, you know, and, and she became a significant character in a short period of time. And this happened, and it blew the doors off. I mean, because it's something like this just didn't. It's not like Gwen Stacy came in, you know, at issue one ten yeah. and got killed at one twenty one. You know, point. I mean, she was around for yeah. for decades. You know, I mean, you know, Years, yeah. and 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 uh, you know, so to, to bring a character in like this and have him work it into his past, you know, because he implemented her into Matt's past when he was in college already, yeah. and you know, and and you know, and, I mean, it, it just. Even though that, and Miller admits, you know that that Elektra was a ripoff of, you know, of uh, Eisner was a sans sans um, serif. Yes, uh, is that the character, female I, character? Yes, sans I mean, serif or something like something that. like that. Yeah, yeah I mean, I'm, I'm pardon it. me, but yeah, yeah. I, I didn't have anything notes in front of me, but he's openly said that this was, you know, well, he's, she's, a, she's a she's a lethal femme fatale, right? So yeah. that was his influence for this character, and mm-hmm. he wanted to do that for this book, and he br- introduced and created this character. And 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 thirteen issues later, he kills her, and it was like you know, 
you know, and he had to sell it. I mean, it wasn't, you know, he had to bring it in front of Shooter and, you know, this is what he wants to do with it, you know, and Shooter's like, well, sell me on it. And he went and gave him the whole outline of what he wanted to do. And Shooter's like, go ahead, do it, you know. Yeah. So, uh, wow. You yeah, know, I'm sorry, Sans Serif. Sans, sans Serif, yeah. Yes. So, I mean, you think about it. Now, he started on Daredevil when he was, what, 21, 22? That's when he was drawing Daredevil. And you figure he was on from 158 to 168. So he might have been 22 years old, going on 23. Jeez. And he now writes and draws a main book that is that he re- and, regained sales because, you know, like I said, it was bi-monthly. It was, you know, in, f- in fear of cancellation numerous times. And now it's, you know, it became a blockbuster. And the impact of that particular story, Shane, uh, Marvel just released their beautiful Marvel 70th anniversary omnibus, mm-hmm. which consists of stories that were voted by fans that they, they feel are the top, most influential Marvel stories. Sure. And Daredevil 181 is in there. So I mean, it's such a significant story. Yeah. I mean, and it's such a groundbreaking book. Yeah. I mean, you it know. Was, it was beautiful to look at. Uh, and the storytelling, you said, I mean, and that's why I wanted to ask your opinion because it, with a lot of silent panels, I mean, that really tells the strength of an artist because oh, yeah. obviously you can draw well, but if you can tell a story, if you can emote, you know, by without having words and other, you know, I mean, Miller was very uh, prolific of utilizing negative space using, I mean, you can see some of the things that he did in Daredevil. I mean, at first, his art was, was great and it was very kind of, I should say, commercially successful, you know what I mean, in that. You know, it was very anatomically correct, and, you know, I loved the the shading and, and the things. But obviously you saw when he became more and more comfortable, like you got to see more of that quirky, more bold lines. Yep. You know what I mean? And, 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 and you see more of a significant style change for him. Um, and so different from stuff that came later. Right. And uh, that very noir, shadowy, gritty, you know, it, yeah. it just it, he just blossomed on this. And that's what, you know, this, and that's why I compare it. I shouldn't say compare it, but it's emulate with me with Sienkiewicz on Moon Knight. It's like I, you see these prolific artists start out and watch them blossom as artists. By the time Sienkiewicz left Moon Knight, I mean his storytelling was just blew my doors off. And same thing with Miller. And that's what – not only can they draw very well, but storytellers, they are just – you know, these artists are so influential for me. And, and that's what I liked about Frank. There was just so much going on, and that, that issue was just – it did. It blew me away. I mean, I was just, I was sold. I mean, that was like hook, line, and sinker. This is great. I want to see more. And and 182 was one of my favorite issues. Oh, well, that cover is one of my favorite yeah. covers of all time. And and where he's grasping Electra's gravesite. Yeah, the the tombstone. the tombstone. Yeah, I mean, just so much great stuff. We'll uh, we'll get to each issue. We need to start. Yeah. We need <laughs> well, Murder Mer- Mer- needs this. Oh, don't. Worry. I'm not going to hold us up much here. No, <laughs> I, I'm curious to see what you have to. What you know? Almost nothing, Kevin. Really? I, I know even less about uh, Miller's Daredevil than Shane does because I've uh, I decided a long time ago that Miller simply is not one of my favorite creators. Mm-hmm. Uh, his work as both writer and artist, uh, what I've seen of it, has generally left me pretty cold. I tend to prefer my comics sunny side up, you see. And, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so I have not read a single one of the comics we're going to be discussing today. Not even the death of Electra. Mm-hmm. Um, everything I know about this. This run, this period of comics I've gleaned from secondary sources. 
so I'm pretty much going to be keeping quiet and getting out of your guys' way here. You guys know the material. You love it. I'm just going to maybe interject a footnote here or there, but for the most part, I'm just going to settle back in my seat in the Lyceum and just enjoy the lecture. <laughs> Look, my big, I, hunk, I, my big hunk of love, you were never in the way. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and you clearly have notes on the legendary uh, legal pad there. Well, so. yeah, this, this much right. pertains to the Miller age. Um, but still, you have notes, so I'm, I'm mm-hmm. always look to hear what you have to mm-hmm. say. So One for, for a, one remark to make. Please. Before, um, I will say this. Uh, when I was in college, I took a pop culture media studies class, which was kind of a precursor to my going on a master's degree in that subject. And um, that page from the, the issue of Daredevil in which uh, Bullseye impales Electra yes. on her own side blade. Uh, that page was projected onto a big screen during our final exam for that class. Oh, yeah? And I think there were three or four. There it is. Pants is holding it aloft for everyone to see. That uh, was uh, the subject of three different multiple choice questions on that. Wow. Oh, yeah? So that's, I, I offer that as a testimony of the. Uh, what uh, if I could have passed that class? <laughs> the canonicity of Miller's work. You know, it's, it, it's been accepted as classic in yeah. well, circles other than merely those of fans. For me, uh, just just a few quick thoughts before we dive into the, the meat of this. I've always, you know, loved Spider-Man, as we've discussed, as sort of like my primary Marvel character. But as I started to get a little bit older and I was exposed to the Miller-Jansen Daredevil, I became so taken with the world that Miller created for this character. And I, I was too young to understand the film noir influences. I mean, I, I got all that later on. Oh, yeah. Um, but even as a, as a like a 12-year-old, I realized I was reading something that was not a typical – superhero comic that I was accustomed to. Something new was going on here. Something grittier. Something in some ways that was dangerous and sinister. Um, there was an unpredictability, unpredictability to what I was reading. It, it, you know, it seemed like, well, I started with 181 and a major character is killed in, in, in a brutal fashion. And it, I realized, okay, this is not the stuff you've been reading from when you were little. This is This is something new. And as I got older... Um, I really started to appreciate what everything that these creators were doing with this character. And we have to, again, I think appreciate, as much as I, I love the whole history of Daredevil, what Miller and Jansen t- did with Daredevil. And really, when you think about it, along with other creators, what the impact they had on comics as a whole was so transformative when it came to bringing like a, 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 a gritty, dark street perspective two books and as, and as we talk about Miller like some of his other work like Electra Assassin and also a very dark edgy satirical approach to, to what was going on uh, as well and I read almost all these stories in my omnibuses here just in the past week to refresh I hadn't wow. read some of them in years mm-hmm. and boy does this stuff still hold up mm. and, and without this you don't have Brian Michael Bendis's run which is phenomenal you don't have Ed Brubaker's run you don't have what Kevin Smith did. It, it's all, it's all here. And yet, at the same time, and this is what I always admire and appreciate, Miller didn't discard all of Daredevil's history up to this point. No. It's all still there. Yeah, a lot of the, like gladiators there and all those villains, but they're just interpreted in a different way. Um, and it, it's it's masterful. So it's it's so, it, it's building upon what's yeah. already established. Yeah, not like him taking it and just giving his whole new no, interpretation of everything. It's and that's the mark of a, of a great creator. As far I mean, as he took so. everything that was laid before yeah. him, picked out what he thought was what he wanted to play with, and and made it shine. And I'm like you, Chris. Like from as long as I can remember, up until uh, seventy nine and eighty, mm. 
Spider-Man was my character. Yeah. There was, you know, that's all I, you know, Spider-Man was everything to me. Mm. And then when these, when those two books came out, I was like, it just totally flipped me on my ear. And I was like, and it, it's just a different level. And not that Spider-Man was a kid's it's book. Also, you know no, I mean? it's just a different tone. Too, yeah, it's completely. You know? yeah. And that, you know, you know, Moon Knight has his own unique macabre, you know, kind of thing. And this was the gritty noir. And like I said, I never got the noir thing. I never read a noir book before, you know, I get introduced to this. But now I know, I understand, and appreciate more to it than... And to add to the last thing I'll say before we plunge in is you start to realize as a reader of this that Miller is playing with the fact that Matt Murdock is unstable and that there is a mental toll to what he's doing as a – as both a, a hero and a costume and then as a lawyer. And you really, he really starts to – I mean Born Again is the ultimate realization oh, yeah. of that. But even in these stories, I'd forgotten what's going on with Heather Glenn mm-hmm. and how – how twisted that really oh, yeah, is, really and twisted. we're going to get into that. But yeah. pants, this is exciting stuff. Yes, it is. Yeah, as you can tell. Yeah. Any other um, background we need to present? Well, one little thing that please you, you mentioned about the bi month the bi monthly publication. Yes. At this time, the first issue we're talking about, one fifty eight, was cover dated May of seventy nine. It did not go monthly until issue one seventy. Yeah. So it was still throughout all this. Well, the, the well, first part of this yeah. one was bi monthly. Daredevil's right. numbers were struggling throughout. I think throughout pretty much the whole Bronze Age. Pretty much. Um, I went, know it was in fear yeah. of cancellation yeah, it at went, least it went, twice. And it went by monthly for, for a while before Miller oh, yeah, yeah, was yeah. there. Mm-hmm. So you know, the, the, it was potentially on the chopping block. And within a matter of a few months from when he took over the book completely, they made it monthly. Mm-hmm. So that tells you right there just based on the, I'm sure the sales numbers they saw. Mm-hmm. Well, you uh, think? I mean, he started with 168, and if you're saying it went monthly, 170. It's only two issues that he yeah. took in total control of the book, and they decided to make it monthly. Yep. So, all right. So, shall we? Absolutely. All sir. right. Um, as you mentioned before, Frank Miller was raised in Vermont, and he was born in 1957. So he's 57 now. Um, he came to Manhattan to, to, try, to try to break in as an artist in the late 1970s. I want to say around 1978. And in a very – really a very brief period of time, when you think about it, his work was was transformative in the comic book medium. I think that's fair to say. And when we think about all the – all that he and, and Jans and the other collaborators he had, all the, the ways they influenced the medium going forward in both good and bad ways because there's always crappy derivations, it, it, it's, it's enormously significant. Um, so as we go through this, you know, naturally we're going to be talking about, as Kevin mentioned – in very, when we touch upon various issues, the influence of crime noir uh, uh, that Miller brought to Daredevil, which totally changed the tone of the book completely. Uh, I mean, it went from, you know, a, a fun, sometimes quirky superhero comic to the, the, the underbelly of the Marvel universe that we never knew was there until this, basically, to some degree. Um, for example, we're going to be addressing many times you go through the checklist just how radically the kingpin has changed. Uh, by uh, you know Miller's take on that character, um, you know when we think of the kingpin, if you're going Silver Age, you're thinking of the you know the mob boss Spider-Man thought who thought who was a little cartoonish, mm-hmm. um, even buffoonish sometimes, to this manipulative master planner who's at, like at the center of this web that controls the entire you know underworld in in, in, in at least New York City if not the entire Marvel universe. Well, you mentioned like you said Godfatherish. I mean that's yeah. kind of like you know that's how in. How powerful he became as a crime leader, you know, and I mean, I think it's just as significant in Absolutely. that essence. 
and I will talk about as as we just mentioned and Panch, you mentioned this, and this will pop up in several issues. You clearly see the Eisner influence in Miller's work, and uh, I mean Miller is Dark Horse did a book Eisner Miller, where it's just them talking to each other yeah, like, yeah. In, in a series of interviews. So there's no denying that uh, impact. And we're also going to address the '80s is renowned, and you know, Murdy used the term "Sunnyside." The '80s is known for better or for worse as the dark, gritty period in comics. When you talk about, you know, Dark Knight Returns, you talk about Watchmen, uh, and and you talk about Daredevil, among other books, you know, Miracle Man, and so forth, where the tone of comics really changed significantly. And in the in the hands of the right creators, it was revelatory. In the, in the hands of also Rands, it was just kind of ho hum, but. You know, this is this this stuff we're looking at here, and you mentioned you know 181 was was in your final exam in that that course you took. There's no denying in the comic book world the impact of what we're going to be looking at. And when we when we, we get to and I can't wait the Daredevil Netflix series, which is coming out mm-hmm. next year, correct? Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, I really can't wait to see because you can almost guarantee they're going to be working off this stuff, um, and I, I'm interested to see how they interpret it. Well, I think. Um, so I think what they've already kind of tipped their hat to is that they've really, really, really. I think their main influence is his is Frank's Man Without Fear story. Okay, which we'll talk about when we get to the nineteen. Yeah, we'll get that which is later. Classic. But yeah, yeah, but I mean, again, and that's another you know touch on it. But the thing that I say is like with this, this is before Watchmen. This is before that's Dark true. Knight. This yeah. is before. This is years before those things came out. Yeah. So to me, this is kind of like. The groundbreaker, you know, this in my experience, this is the forefront of these types of books that then followed this, you know. And I'm not saying it's because of this, but I'm just saying this is a forerunner. No, it's definitely in the vanguard. Yeah. And when you think about it, Marvel, I mean, I won't pretend to know the politics of the time, but Marvel, you know, commend Shooter for believing in Miller and giving him the because an editor can be so suffocating. Yeah. And and, and can really, you know. Dilute the creativity um, in the, if it's the wrong dynamic, but he clearly saw something in like, like what Pants read of that the opening page, right? Yeah. And they didn't do that for every artist to appear yeah, the yeah, first time. Know. So, you know, Shooter must have seen something in this young man, and you know, he let him run with it. And when you think about it, like Daredevil one eighty one, I mean, yeah, comics are starting to get more violent as in the early eighties, but that was yeah. wow. Yeah. I, I mean, and again, I'm someone who so when I read that book, I read it after to come out, maybe even a year or so after. You know, I'd read all the Marvel books and DC and G.I. Joe and Star Wars and so forth. I'd never seen anything like that before. So we, we can't undersell the significance of this. And as I said, we're, we're going to be looking at Daredevil issues 158, Miller's first penciling work, where, where, where the often overlooked and underrated Roger McKenzie is mm-hmm. scripting. And then we're going to go up to 191, which is, which is Miller's last issue on that first run of Daredevil that he did. And I read a quote from him that he considers 191 one of his favorite issues of that entire run. So we're certainly going to look at that. So, so he doesn't distance himself from his Daredevil work in favor of his later things. He, still... I've never read anything. Okay, anything no. to the I was, contrary. I was curious. Have you or no, Kevin? No, no. The only thing that, the only thing that I know that he has contention with Marvel is that, um, you know, he killed Elektra. You know, he he obviously wrote the story where she was resurrected. You know, so he can't say that right she, here. So that was that happened at the end. That happened in issue one ninety. Yeah, one ninety one was his last. But then he did the Electro Lives Again graphic Which is novel. Like a what if now, basically? But yeah. to him, that was canon. It, it was canon, yes. And 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 he had the agreement with Marvel that that was canon, and that 
you know, what transpires in that graphic novel is as, just as canon as what happened in his run from yeah. 158 to 191. And part of that somewhat agreement was that Electra stay dead. And that's how it ends. That's how, we, you know, we agree. Well, obviously, you know, <laughs> that didn't happen. So that's his contention. That's his only contention that I've ever heard. I've heard that too, yeah. Okay. In regards to this body of work, uh, is that the whole, you know, that Electra should never have been used, you know, post Electra Lives Again original graphic novel. But, you know, again, it's a business, and Electra was such a popular character <laughs> right. right out of the gate. I mean, but I mean, you know, you know yeah, great. You know, she was phenomenal and, and, and very uh, pertinent in this storyline, mm-hmm. significant. But to me, She's like a Hulk or other characters that, on their own, they're just not. You know what I mean? It's like they have, for them to have their own series, it just—it's hard for them to hold their own on as a you know as a as a. They they play well with others. You know what I mean? It's like they play off of others very well. Uh, to me, that's their when they're they're strongest. Um, you know, so like a character like Elektra, you know, great. I love her. She's a great character, but. Every series they've tried to produce, including you know the one that's out now, they're interesting, but it just never, it never reaches you know. I've read the new one, Pants. You're a big fan of the new Electra series. Aren't I, you? I do enjoy it very much. Yeah. I read the first five issue um, arc. Um, I like it better it... than the last series that they did with Electra. Uh, this new one, mm-hmm. I enjoy it more than the last one as well. I mean, the last one they started out kind of decent, but then it just went haywire, mm-hmm. you know. And that Mike, the one with I forget who wrote it, but Mike Diodato Jr. did the artwork on it. Um, that one too was kind of. Yeah. Well, I thought that one was dreadful. It was. Yeah, that's that what one, I'm saying. Yeah. I mean that one. But then after that one was the one where Greg Horn was doing all the covers. You know what I mean? Yeah. When, and Bendis it, wrote some of those. Yeah. I and think. we started the first yeah. six issues, yeah. and it just it just never took off. I mean, yeah. just you know. So this, I agree that this newest one is probably by far the best one. You know, as far as being a fan of Electra is concerned. But but it just you know like to me she's never reached the height as she was. In this in this book, in this run of books. Well, which we're going to be looking at in detail. Um, just to get a little bit more background about where Miller is at this point. So he arrives in New York City in the late 70s. And based on what I read, he initially picked up a few jobs with Gold Key. And then he moved on to D.C. And again, from what I read, apparently Vince Coletta, who we all know is a controversial <laughs> inker from the, the Marvel oh bullpen. Yeah, yeah. He was working at D.C. at that point and apparently saw something in Miller's uh, work. Because Miller just kind of walked in off the street and said, you know, I'm looking for work as far as I can tell. I mean, you know, the comic book world didn't have the the size and the multimedia. It wasn't superstar status yeah, or anything. Nothing like that was really in existence yet. So – and Coletta get, got him some work. Um, but it, he was only there briefly, and I think he did some weird war tales, if I remember correctly. And yeah, uh, weird – he did a Twilight Zone issue according to comic book That's TV. Gold Twilight Key, Zone yeah. issue. Yeah. Weird, weird war tales. Uh, there's an issue with John Carter, Warlord of Mars, and then Spectacular, and then the Daredevil. So his first job at Pencil at Marvel, uh, this is about 1978, was John Carter, Warlord of Mars, number 18. So he, he had, he had a, his first pencil job for Marvel in that short-lived series. And the John Carter series, you could, is, there's a Marvel omnibus that's out there of that, um, if you want to catch that. Um, and then he did, he, did, he did fill-ins, he did covers, you know, any new artist, they kind of throw different things at them. And then he, as we mentioned, he landed the two-issue spot on Spectacular Spider-Man's number 27 and 28. That was written by Bill Mantlo. Um, I want to say Frank Springer inked. Don't, I'm not positive on that. I think he did at least yeah. one of them. Yeah, and that's, that's Miller's first rendering of the character Daredevil. And as we joked before, this features the 
<laughs> the masked marauder. Yeah. Um, I don't know why my microphone's not working there, but uh, masked marauder. Yeah. yeah. Frank Farnham, right? Yes. Yes. That's the guy. And the guy who wears a drape over his face and shoots an eye beam out of it. Um, and uh, I remember when I was a kid, as Miller started to take off as an artist, Marvel did one of their deluxe edition reprints where they had the Baxter paper. Yeah. And they collected those two issues with some additional material. And it was, I know it was two dollars or something like that. I remember my parents got it for me, and that was also one of my first experiences of, of Frank Miller. I may not even realize it yet at the time because it was, it was, it was Spider Man Daredevil, which I thought was cool. Mm-hmm. Um, but I remember the significance of that story was that Spider Man is temporarily blinded by Farnham's eye beam, and Daredevil, and they and Peter Parker, and Matt Murdock don't know who each other is yet at that point, and because of course they do later, and Daredevil is trying to help Peter adjust to his blindness. I mean, eventually it goes away, and Clearly, Miller made enough of an impact that he went to Schubert and he said, you know, I want to draw Daredevil. And, you know, again, it's a low-selling book, so they're probably more open to someone experimenting. And uh, Shooter gave him the gig, and we're going to go from there. So he was teamed up with Roger McKenzie, who had done a lot of work, uh, horror comics, like uh, I think stuff from uh, Creepy, Eerie, things like that for War. Well, he was the current writer of Daredevil for he a while. He was the current writer, yep. Yes. And, and – I want to. I don't know much about McKenzie. I couldn't find much about him online beyond credits he'd done. But I think the guy sometimes gets a bad rap. He was not a bad writer, in my opinion, mm-hmm. and I thought he did solid work on the title. I remember you mentioning the last episode, Kevin, how McKenzie brought more of a darker, edgier tone. Yeah, he changed the tone of the book. Yeah. And I yeah. think for the good. Yeah, to, to Daredevil. Mm-hmm. So, you know, his contribution should not be undersold here. Now, almost right off the bat. You can tell as Miller starts to render the character, and especially when he begins writing the character, the tone of Daredevil begins to change. Even in issue 158, it's still very much you know situated in Daredevil's history, everything that happened before, and, and you know the Black Widow and Deathstalker and so forth. But the visual tone has changed. I mean, the way Deathstalker dies in issue 158, you know, is not pleasant. Um, and you know, there's you can also see Mackenzie's horror influence mm-hmm. in these stories. Absolutely, especially 158. Yeah, and there's there's a change going on. Let me read a quote from Miller from an interview in 2008. He says, "When I first showed up in New York, I showed up with a bunch of comics, a bunch of samples of guys in trench coats and old cars and such." Comic editor said, "Where are the guys in tights?" And I had to learn how to do it. But as soon as the t- a title came along. When Gene Colan left Daredevil, I realized it was my secret in to do crime comics with a superhero in them. And so I lobbied for the title and got it. So – and I think that's that's very apt, that quote there, because crime comics with a superhero in them. And that's really what – if you want to break it down, that's what this is. Yeah. All right, It's Daredevil. It's his world, but it is a totally different change in how that world has been portrayed up to this point. It's still the Marvel Universe, but – it's not your daddy's Marvel universe. It's not shiny. It's, it's the, not the next evolution. Yeah, and and I love all all of that stuff, of course. But this is very different tone. As Murd say, this is not sunny side up at all. Okay, this is shadows and alleyways and sinister, lurking, seedy people in them. And you know, Matt Murdock has to navigate that world and still try to retain his 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 code and and his 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 morals and his sanity, frankly. And as we get into the bullseye, for example, you know, you have Murdoch struggling with, you know, should I let this guy live? Because he, this guy is a homicidal maniac, basically. 
And I, I was joking in our notes here that, you know, Brian DeMoy says, why doesn't he just kill him? Like, you know, come on. How many guys does this person have to kill before Daredevil just ends him? Like Batman with the Joker. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and, and, the and they have Matt wrestling with, you know, well, I'm, I'm responsible for this man. He's a killer. Well, when you basically. get into 181, and yeah. then especially into 191, 90, yeah, 191, I mean, I mean, that's significant compared to what we were used to like you say with batman and the joker and you know how many how many times are you gonna let this guy you know just try to arrest him and put him in jail yeah and he obviously you know takes this bull by the horns and throws it right in your face you know and uh which again was majorly significant you and know? the other thing i want to emphasize um miller apparently would he would just sketch new york city rooftops just to and, he, and basically I, and I think this this is very important to emphasize he made Manhattan a, a central player in these Daredevil stories in terms of the atmosphere that was lent to it, and you know the the, the sewers, the stories that take place in the sewers, you know the the pipes, the the rooftops, the the shadows, the alleys, Josie's bar, mm -hmm. where Daredevil goes to you know to to talk to you know to stoolies and pigeons and to try to you know roust out. Whoever he needs information from, and you know the joke is poor Josie has her window broken, you know, multiple times a yeah. week because bodies are thrown through it and the so water forth. Water towers, yeah, the water towers. When you read these and, and Daredevil, the way he he dances in, in that like a ballet dancer across this sort of crumbling, decaying, Landscape. urban blight, basically, and you'd never really you hadn't seen it that rendered that way before in the Marvel universe, at least not in, in my experience up to that point, and and it gave this air of danger and instability. And you're not sure what's lurking around these corners and what's going to happen. And that, to me, that, that is such an important part of this whole world that Miller w w and, and, and Klaus Janssen and Roger McKenzie were, were transforming. Um, and we have to mention also, as part of our intro here, Miller creates this wonderful motley crew of supporting characters that emphasize this new CD world, Turk and Grotto, <laughs> yes. which like the Abbott and Costello, basically, <laughs> the Laurel and Hardy of – of Daredevil's underworld that he has to work in. I mean, they're there for the comic relief, but they're also symbols of the kinds of scum he has to kind of deal with to, to fight crime and get information. Eric Slaughter, who heads like this assassin's mm -hmm. guild, yeah. this sinister old man with a cane, yep. and, you know, he, he has this guild that, you know, the kingpin tolerates basically, and they take freelance jobs. Um, you know, the, the tenement buildings and, and just... The city is so alive in these Daredevil stories, and there's so much – there's such an important part uh, of the background. Um, now, just to, to jump ahead a little bit here. So Mackenzie scripts with Miller from 158 to uh, 166, and then he's off the book. Now, apparently what happened based on what I've read, Miller wasn't happy with Mackenzie's scripts, and apparently neither was editor Denny O'Neill. We all know who did the significance of Denny O'Neill. Yeah, interesting because I yeah. I saw early the first few issues it was um, edited by well I mean Jim Shooter's the editor in chief right but edited by um, Mary Jo Duffy and Al Milgram. Yep, both Mar both Marvel veterans. Yep, but yeah, but then Denny O'Neill takes over and well there you go. I mean we we all know O'Neill's pedigree and what he's mm -hmm. done for comics. This is this is his spell at working at Marvel and. Issue 167 is David Michelini writes the book, a veteran scripter. Mm -hmm. And then with 168, Miller must have been raring to go. <laughs> I mean, think about it. So 168, he's, he's now the writer and penciler of the book. Boom, here's uh, Electra. And here's Electra. And the story is just entitled Electra. And it goes from there. And we have to also emphasize 
Daredevil's traditional rogues gallery that we've talked about in our Silver and Bronze Age spotlights, it's still there, but Miller kind of picks and chooses who he's going to use. Like you don't see Manbull, for example. Yeah. <laughs> you don't Sorry, see the owl. You don't see Mandrill. You know, you don't see any of those characters. Sorry, Murd. But some <laughs> of them, like Gladiator, show up. Um, but they're just. An, I'll, I'll get over it. Yeah, they're just. <laughs> they're, Chris is all the Mandrill I need. Oh. <laughs> Dear Lord. I knew that soft cover comment would elicit some <laughs> great material. It's just all dick jokes from here on out. Outstanding. Um, so <laughs> that traditional rogues gallery, it, it, it doesn't disappear. It kind of takes a back seat, though, except for Bullseye, who's radically transformed, basically. And it's as much the criminal underworld now that Daredevil is dealing with, kind of faceless you know, punks and thugs and underlings of the kingpin, uh, as much as it is, you know, quote, supervillains. And... For much of Miller's run, there aren't really many supervillains, quote, in it. No. Um, the gladiator appears, but he goes through his own transformation, essentially. I don't, uh, the owl doesn't show up at no, all. No. Um, Still know, man, after a fashion. After a fashion, exactly, uh, in, in an amusing way because it involves Turk. Yeah. Um, but it, it's, it's very much the underworld. And then there's ninjas. Oh, well, thank you, Pants, because all of us who grew up in the 80s, we all remember in the pop culture zeitgeist, I'm sure Shane can speak to this, ninjas were just kind of everywhere, yeah. right? I mean, they show up in G.I. Joe. There's all these like bad B-movies showing up now with, with ninjas, like American Ninja, with ninjas in them. And for whatever reason, in the 80s, ninjas were in the pop culture zeitgeist. I'm not sure why. That just, they just, I just remember as a kid. Going to flea markets, you start to see ninja stuff everywhere, like the the, the, the yeah, any costumes. Market, yep, yeah. and they very much became a part of Daredevil. So you had this fascinating uh, synthesis of like the, the gritty underworld, and then this mystical ninja aspect to it. And somehow he made it all work. Uh, it I mean, work. It, it's fascinating. Of course, we'll get into stick and all that as we move on. Uh, we also have to mention how important Ben Urich is in this time oh, period. Yeah. Um, we mentioned how he, he was introduced by McKenzie. Damn it, I can't remember the issue number off the top of my Bird, head. Uh, Bird on uh, the last uh, yep. episode. I'll have it for you in a minute. Uh, number 153 was okay. his first appearance. Thank you, sir. 1978. Thank you very much. And Yurik is – I mean besides Foggy, he's probably the most important supporting character in this era. I mean he's way up there because A, he's going to discover Matt Murdock's identity. B, he's going to – not reveal that because he feels that you know Daredevil is too important to to, to expose his identity, and Yurik's narrative voice in this book, and even more so in Born Again, is so important. I think to the whole feel of the comic book, and like I can't imagine today if they created Ben Yurik, like they wouldn't have him smoking because smoking is such so seen as taboo. But it's so intrinsic to his character yeah. uh, in this time period. And when I think of the Daredevil movie, they so blew that character oh, in that movie. Absolutely. I mean, they just did not get it at all, and. He plays such an important role uh, in these stories. And, and I also – we're going to be really touching upon Miller starts to explore, especially getting into the latter issues here, Matt Murdock is not mentally stable. I mean he exhumes his dead lover because mm -hmm. he thinks she might still be alive. So And then plays he, Russian roulette with his main villain. Yes. So <laughs> you know, and, I mean again, Born Again is like the consummation of yes. that theme yeah. as well, but – you know, and other writers have, have since picked up with that. You know, and, and when you think about it, this is a man who puts on these tights and runs around the city in the most dangerous parts, tr beating the crap out of criminals with his bare hands. You're going to have issues, mm. and you know, 
and the people in your life – and this is I think one of the best parts of this run and going forward. They explore that if you if you are close to Matt Murdock, you're going to suffer because of it. Like there will be fallout and blowback in your life because of what he's doing. All the women in his life, Foggy, everybody, Ben Urich, everybody's affected because – not because he wants them to get hurt, but – it's just, just, be, it's, it's just, just you, you're part of the fold. I yeah, mean, you just, exactly. it's, it's that, it's that environment and you know, you, it's, it's, if you're in it, you're magnetically attracted yep. to it, you know? And again, we're going to talk about Klaus Jansen and how important his role is and, and their synthesis. They're such a wonderful team because they did Dark Knight Returns together too. Yes. So, yeah. you know, there's, there's a quite a, quite a legacy there. And the other, last thing I'd say before we kind of jump into the checklist and before we have other, you know, comments from other, other, the rest of us is, I've often reflected on the fact that when people think about Marvel characters and like the, the popular culture, a lot of the, like the average person doesn't really think about Daredevil too much. And we think about even before you know the movie in the 2000s, Daredevil didn't appear much in multimedia. I think he appeared in like Amazing, Spider-Man's Amazing Friends once. Was he you know, in a TV, TV movie with TV the Hulk? Yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll yeah. talk about that probably next time. Yeah, but, yeah, next yeah, time, but yeah. um, God, that, yeah, he, hor- that horrible black costume. But um, <laughs> you know, and and he appeared in the Sp- the, the Spider Man cartoon from the two thousands. I think yeah. he was in that or the nineteen nineties. Ninety five. Yeah. So he was but, in the Fantastic Four. Uh, that's right. He was in that too. From yep. the nineties. So. That's right. right. So, so he had very little exposure in in terms of multimedia. And, but, and even ahead. with merchandise and things like very that, limited. I mean, there was. I mean, it wasn't until Miller came along. Then he had some T-shirts. It's like and I got posters. some T-shirts yeah. and stuff like that. Was that was about it. That was yeah. about it. I mean, yeah. you know, all the other heroes that you were, most people were attracted to. You could get stuff all over the place, and yeah. and Daredevil, you know, it was like I, it was a character I loved, and I was like, I can't find it. You know what I mean? So anything that came out, I snagged. I remember you going crazy when the figures came out. That first Spider-Man wave before there was a uh, Marvel Legends getting Daredevil. Was, that was the wave associated with the cartoon. Uh, no, this oh, was, that was this, with that all was this, the articulation. Okay. That was a Spider-Man Classics line. Okay. Where, like, and, and there were a couple figures of Daredevil throughout history, but yeah. nothing like this. Yeah, he was in, he was in, it was two figures that, that he appeared in before that Spider-Man Classic line, but that yeah. Spider-Man Classic line was obviously the most articulated and most, you know, anatomically yeah. well-sculpted. And then the thing that that was is that they did the, the red figure, but then they had the limited... Yellow. Yellow costume, which was almost, which was virtually impossible yeah. to, to yeah. get, and I have a whole story behind that, but we'll get to that yes. later too. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. Uh, but it, it, it's keeping that in mind that very limited exposure to the wider public consciousness. What I find amazing is, you know, many would not say Daredevil is an A-list hero in the Marvel universe, but his series, in terms of inspiration and impact on fans and other creators. I think ranks at the top of all of the Marvel titles. When you think of what Miller did and Jansen, and then after that, you know, Brian Michael Bendis and Ed Brubick and what Mark Wade is doing right now. I mean, Daredevil is one of the most distinguished, I think, creative legacies of any of the Marvel characters. And when you think about the impact he's had and all the great work that's come out of this character. So – and I think a lot of that really starts here. And not to, to demean the Silver the Bronze Age because, I mean, they, they did so much great work in that. It's just – it's a testament to the endurance of this character. They could totally change the tone, and it was ju- just as great, if not better. Um, well, and the thing is, I, you know, we we touched upon it last episode, and you know, it seemed like Daredevil never really had a true direction. They were always yeah. trying to find the strength in the character. They've tried so many different things, tried to approach different things, and it nothing ever really like soundly. Like you had little snippets, you had little windows, which obviously kept the character going. 
but nothing that really stuck. You know, it's never and and this stuck. Oh yeah. This this is, you know, the ultimate you know platform that it finally uh, so rested upon, which it, it needed. You know, because otherwise, without this, I think Daredevil would have been might have petered out somewhat history. Yeah. You know, as as a character and only appeared every so often until maybe somebody else might have done something. But even then, I don't. You know, it's and, and again, you're presuming, but you know, the significance. You know, would would have been in the level of this grandeur. You know, um, so I mean, it, this gave the character a solid base and a solid foundation, and, and was and it was again, it fit. You know, the character fit perfect into what you know his approach was and how it was, and and it just it just worked. I mean, other comments from our esteemed brothers in arms. Well, with the checklist, Ben, ben Urich's, um as the reporter, yes, and finding out Daredevil's identity was that his purpose his beat was to find daredevil well he was a they established him as a long-standing you know like city beat reporter mm-hmm. for the daily bugle who you get the the sense from like the caption box or the description and that that up to this point his career was you know solid but kind of unremarkable and then he, he put two and two together and he realized that I, i'm sitting on a pulitzer prize here but it took many yeah. it took yeah. quite a few issues yeah to, they, for they him. Played it, it wasn't out like it just yeah he just figured it out issues. one yeah okay. but i mean that was his purpose in these first issues is that he was you know trying to find investigating yeah and like you know and then and then obviously you know well we'll talk about when we get to the issues but yeah when then he finds out and then obviously the next dilemma is like you know so you're sitting on this gold mine you're sitting on your pulitzer you know and then you you have this whole inner so we'll get to that but yeah his his purpose in these first uh was it 158 to 163 64 or is him you know and being like the investigative reporter and kind of Catching a, a glimpse at something and then it drives him, motivates him to uh, to really dig around and try to figure things out. Uh, I got a, a couple of things. Sure. I was when I was rereading this stuff. Uh, I know we mentioned the last episode that Heather Graham, Heather Glenn, Heather, Glenn. <laughs> Heather Graham, boy, 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 quite yeah. a crossover there. Boy, I'm sorry. Uh, Fine uh, but uh, Heather Glenn, <laughs> oh my goodness, awesome powers. Roller girl knows who. <laughs> Knows who, who Daredevil is. No, Matt is Daredevil. Yes. Did Foggy not know that during this time? Oh, here's the funny thing about Foggy. <laughs> Foggy his, his so aptly named. Foggy is clueless <laughs> about this until like the Bendis run. Yeah. Right? He doesn't find out until the two thousands really? wow. that Matt Murdock is Daredevil. I didn't know that. Yeah, they had never they, knew yeah, Matt yeah. was Daredevil. And By they, then half the world knows. Yeah, so. and they, they even have <laughs> right. And they even have excerpt like like little blurbs like thought balloons or word balloons in this Miller stuff where Foggy's saying, you know, geez, Matt just kinda disappears from mm-hmm. I wonder where he goes. I'm like, Foggy. Foggy. I mean, I'm telling you, he's so no. aptly named. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't know for years, wow, Pants. Okay. For years. And then the other thing when when I read, you know, a lot of Batman issues, they don't mention in like every couple so often, oh, that his parents were killed. They don't, you know, put that down your throat. But in this one of Daredevil, I saw several times they mentioned, oh, oh, I was blinded at a young age. And they kept going over his origin. It seemed like every five or six issues. That's a very marvel of technique. Okay, okay. Time. I just, just, just to refresh for if there's a new reader. Yeah. Okay. Right? They want to read. And you're right. You see that. Well, and again, you look at the how the title was struggling. And then it seemed to gain a resurgence when Mackenzie and Miller, you know, did their collaboration. Yeah. And then when Miller took over, it obviously grained, gained a much larger surge. So, I mean, you think you're drawing in new readers. So that was their way of, you know, kind of keeping you up to date, so to speak, mm-hmm. if you were a new reader or whatever. That's like, you know, in every X-Men story, Wolverine constantly repeating, I'm the best there is at what I do, okay. and that type of thing. So. 
Okay, well, I, I think it's interesting to also note that we've been talking for an hour and haven't even gotten to the issues yet. There's just, <laughs> so, and I mean that in a good thing. There's yeah. just so yeah. much. It's so significant. It's so, yeah. Thank you, yes. Well, let's plunge into the checklist let's there, Pansy. Let's, let's do, do it. it. All right, now, <laughs> issue 158, and Pants talked about that first page of original oh, art. Yes. All right. That's Miller's first, not penciling the character, because that was his attack for Spider-Man, but right, on right, the Daredevil right. title. Um, it's Roger McKenzie scripting. And th- now they bring in, you know, sort of a a holdover major villain from Daredevil's Bronze Age, which is the Deathstalker. This is the late 1970s. And the Deathstalker, who used to be the Exterminator, which Murd has talked about in the past, um, he ha- he was caught in some limbo dimension with the Exterminator, so he's like kind of shifting in, like he's like a ethereal figure, yeah. And he has like this death touch, and because he can phase, yeah, know, that's so. right. He can phase in and out. And he and Daredevil, and they they fought several times in the Bronze Age, and this is kind of like their climactic battle. He's he's attacked uh, Daredevil's like loved ones and and the Black Widow, and and the Black Widow and Daredevil are not together at this point. That should be also emphasized. He's with Heather Glenn. I'll never get that one. We'll talk about that later. <laughs> but um. But Natasha's still in his life, and you know Becky is secretary, and Foggy and Foggy's uh, fiance, uh, uh, Debbie, Debbie Harris. Debbie Harris, Harris, thank you, sir. So they end up fighting, and um, the Deathstalker had recruited uh, some of the Annie men, two of which so he mur- cool. two of which he murders himself. <laughs> yeah, uh, in that he, he they they deliver, uh, I think Daredevil to him or Matt Murdock. Matt Murdock, yeah. yeah, and then he, he kills both of them. Yeah. I think it was Catman and, and Birdman. Uh, Birdman. And, no, it was Gorilla Man. Was it really? Yeah, Birdman was left behind at the, at the part, Black Widow. I think defeats him. Oh, yeah. Um, and in the yeah, final, he goes, Catman, Ape Man, look out behind you. Oh yeah, <laughs> Ape Man, thank you, sir. Dutch, de- and Dutch. in this final battle, Deathstalker's because Deathstalker's insane from the, the physical condition he's in, and he's lunging for Daredevil, and he phases into a tombstone, but then he loses control, and then he becomes solid again. And it's pretty. It's it's a not a pleasant death. I mean, he he dies entombed halfway through this tombstone. The yeah. title of the story he, is a grave mistake. In, well done, sir. Uh, <laughs> he and, was a madman, an insane, inhuman murderer. He brought death to everyone he touched, and it finally caught up with him. But and, I, I like I, like you said before. I think that uh, really, it really you felt that kind of influence for that character with Roger McKenzie with oh, his yeah. take on the character, Absolutely. with his horror background and stuff. It was. And again, so I mean, you talk about Frank coming in and making a significant impact with his art, but again, I think credit goes to Roger McKenzie as well because, you know, with these stories that he was scripting and the ideas he brought to the character, it just gave a, a really fresh new tone to the character. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Um, now, I should also mention the Black Widow has returned to Matt's life in this time period because she really wants to rekindle their romance. And we're to look at how Matt is actually going to reject her. Um, and not her friendship, but you know, to return to their romantic past. Um, issues one fifty nine through one sixty two, I kind of lumped together. There's a lot of stuff kind of goes on in terms of mm-hmm. overarching plot lines in that. First of all, as Kevin mentioned, in those issues, they plant seeds that you see Ben Yerke starting to figure out. He's starting to put the pieces together that Matt Murdock is Daredevil, and there's different panels where they show him realizing certain things, and he's starting to put those pieces together. As I said, now. In these stories, this is this is very bullseye heavy. These stories, and now this is where Miller first gets his hands on Bullseye with Mackenzie, and they're, they're exploring the fact that Bullseye is so obsessed by the fact that he can he's never been able to defeat Daredevil, and Daredevil has beaten him, has humiliated him on television. Right, right. I mean, they had that one right. battle, and 
That was the last time they battled before this. Yeah, place. that's right. And he, he initially hires Eric Slaughter's Assassin's Guild, which that that f- falls flat. So then he goes into action as Bullseye himself. And I remember this is one of my early Daredevil experience. I can picture the cover. I want to say it's issue 160. He's holding the Black Widow, strangling her with like the cord from a hair dryer, yeah. basically. Yeah. And um, he kidnaps her to lure Daredevil into battle. To Coney Island. Yes, well, on the roller coaster. Mm-hmm. Thank you, sir. But you think about it. I mean, you know, we give credit to, to Frank Miller flushing out Bullseye. But, I mean, you think about That's it. McKen- McKenzie, McKenzie as well. Yeah. Yep, he's writing it, absolutely. And these stories, they begin to explore. They start to flesh out Bullseye. He's not, he's not just a two-dimensional villain with a cool power. He's a, he's a homicidal uh, lunatic. He's disturbed, I mean, He's man. extremely yeah. disturbed. Yeah. And they're starting to get into that. And they're starting to portray that this is, this is, this is a very creepy, frightening character. Yeah. And then this is just the beginning when it comes to that character. Um, go ahead, Pants. Well, I was going to say, if you get to the end of these issues you lump together, issue 162 is actually a fill-in issue of sort. It's yeah. written Steve by Ditko. Michael Fleischer. Yeah, and Steve Ditko on the on the, the artwork for that. And I couldn't find it in my collection. It's, of course, not in the issues that I've I... I totally forgot about that. Thank you, So I, yeah, yeah. There's not much I can tell you about that. Other I can't than that either, I must say. It's a, yeah. it's a, it's a, I think it's a standalone issue. It's a fill-in issue. Um, I think he fights Jaguar or something like that, um, and it's Steve Ditko doing the artwork, and yeah, because it, it's such an abrupt thing, yeah. you know what I mean? It's like you know, it's like wow, really, you know, and 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 then obviously 163 comes along, and it's like, well, this is a favorite of yours, my friend, oh, because I, I consider this a classic Daredevil story. Uh, the Hulk is running amok, enraged in Manhattan, and you know Matt. Is in a, I think he's at a like a, he's some at a kind like of function a gala, of some kind, yeah, because yeah. he's wearing a tuxedo, mm-hmm. and he through his senses he realizes the Hulk is nearby, and this is where again you go back to Daredevil uh, seven with the Submariner battle right from the Silver Age, yep. where you, and this is always one of the great things about the Daredevil character Matt Murdock, he is the man without fear because he's going to go out and and try to calm down probably <laughs> the most powerful creature walking the earth essentially and you think about it i mean i mean granted he's daredevil he has no superpowers, so to speak but i mean you think in any other comic that this would have happened they would have put on their costume and battled the hulk yeah his approach was to not his approach was to get to him try to calm him down and stop the destruction without battling him and initially it works because he does Revert back to Bruce Banner, and Matt takes him back to his brownstone, and you know, he's trying to help him. Yeah, he gives him a meal, has, yeah, gives him a place yeah. to sleep and yep. rest, and, and, you and know, then, take the pressure off. And then and Bruce then... tries to leave the city, but he makes the mistake of getting on the New York City subway system. <laughs> we both made a mistake, haven't we? And, yeah, and you know, the art is great because like, one guy spills like coffee on him, and people are like nudging him. and, and One guy's blaring his yeah, boombox. Yeah. And, and the stress starts to build, and he becomes the Hulk in the subway car, and he goes on a, a rampage. And then Daredevil does don his costume and tries to take him on, and he gets the living <laughs> bejesus kicked out of him. Yeah. I mean, he ends up badly injured in the hospital. Yep. And he almost yep. stops him again. Yes. Yeah. But it was because of the police. Yeah. Because he, you know, he finally got to the Hulk. I mean, he battled the Hulk and got the Hulk to stop again. Yeah. And the Hulk's finally starting to listen to him. And the police shot and he, him. And he they realizes him, yeah. that he's, you know, the Hulk kind of assimilates you know you think yeah. about it uh, you think foggy can't do this but the hulk kind of <laughs> you know that he's you know daredevil's talking to him and trying to calm him down and I, he kind of associates with what happened with matt murdoch and the hulk starts to calm down and yeah. it starts to, and then you know you get the itchy finger of a police 
policeman, and, and and he fires and shoots the Hulk in the back of the head with a round, and, and that just... That's like a fly stinging him, basically. Yeah, and it so, just pisses yeah. him off, yeah. and, and of course, guess who got... <laughs> yeah. And then in the next issue, 164... Oh, just one I'm more sorry, th- go ahead, sir. One more thing in this issue. Again, I'm going to throw my uh, art Please. hat into the ring. Uh, the title splash page from this issue, of course, has... It's Blind called Blind Alley. Alley. And it has a little bit of the incorporation, a little bit of Eisner-ish. Into oh, yeah. The, yeah. The but this page is actually right now up for auction really? on, on Comic Link. Oh, yeah? How and much? This, this one is actually inked by Joe Rubenstein. Yeah, Joe Rubenstein. And yeah. now it's got about two weeks to go in the auction. Yeah. It's already at $3,400 wow. with 40 Damn. with forty some bids. Well, if I don't go to London next year. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, again. Because I is, do. I, this, this issue was what – I mean I, I ended up getting 181 before this issue. Me too. Yeah. So, 181 hooked me, and then I went back, and and then you know read, and then and then from 181 on, I, I I've been a reader. But you know, when I started getting the issues, the back issues, when I read this one, this solidified it for me. This is what made me go, I need all these issues now that Frank <laughs> Miller did, and I need to read all these, and I can't wait to see what happens next because this was so significant, significant of of a testament of the character that. It just totally sold me on the character, and that's and that's a, that. This is now a ca- character that I'm bonded to, and and I want this character. I can understand that because that particular issue really captures so much of the essence of Matt Murdock and who he is and why he's Daredevil. And, and also, like you said, with Daredevil too, because I mean, yeah. to go up against the Hulk. I mean, yeah. you're not Spider-Man, you're not yeah. Thor. You know what yeah. I mean? So I mean, here he is, like you said, with like Namor going up against him and. And he doesn't stop, you know. He's getting the shit pounded out of him, yeah. and he doesn't stop. He comes nope. back. He keeps trying, you know. And, and that's a, a a testament to him uh, as an individual. But uh, it's it's just such a significant character uh, building story. And, and and once again, I always have to when you, when I think about that theme, I have to go back to the to me that what, what is the Daredevil Bible, which is Born Again, and there's the the great scene where he just where he's, he's He's so badly injured. He's in the, he's in the gym hitting the bag. And he just says, "Never give up, yeah. ever," and that's the character. It is basically. Now, one sixty four, Daredevil's in the hospital. Natasha's there with him, and the Avengers. And uh, they have all the the heroes come in. <laughs> they all keep saying, you know, the FF, Power Man, Iron Fist. You know, Natasha's there. Anything we can do to help? Um, but he recovers, and this issue is key because Ben Yurick comes to visit him at the hospital, and they have because they have a, a relationship. Well, he he Ben Yurick. I forgot to mention this. I want to mention this. Um, in one sixty three, when he's fighting the Hulk, um, is it Natasha Heather or Glenn. Heather Glenn? Yep. Is is in the crowd, and yeah. she sees that's right. You're right. Yep, him right. fighting the Hulk, and, she and she's Matt. concerned, and yeah. she yells, "Matt!" Yep. Yeah. And Ben's next to her, oh? and he's like, "Uh." And uh, there was the final was piece of the puzzle. Yep. So, but one sixty four is kind of like this is where Ben comes in. With, yeah, basically, it's also a way to recap Daredevil's origin. Exactly, like, like I mentioned yeah. before. They, yeah, they they, because Matt, they already have established Matt has such respect for Ben Yurick that he that when Yurick confronts him with it, at first he tries to deny, it and he goes, "No, I am, Dare, I am, yeah. I am Matt Murdock," mm-hmm. and he tells him his whole. And this is the first time because you mentioned this last time where they show the actual isotope hitting him in the face. Right. Basically, it's like, like an actual radioactive isotope. Um, and you know you wonder is is Ben gonna reveal it or not? And then at the end he burns all his notes. He says, yeah. I, which again says something so much yeah. about his character. And that and that and right there that establishes how important the their dynamic. friendship's going yeah. to be. And yeah. you know Ben basically saying, you know, you're too important to this city. I can't I can't expose you. Right. Right. Basically, um, issue one sixty five. 
Natasha wants to be back with Matt, and Matt rejects her for Heather Glenn. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> he's trying something new. Yeah, he's trying well, something you know new, I, I mean? guess. That's, but, all, you know, that's, how got, I, that's how I took it. I mean, I was... I'm just being silly here, but you've got – to be trivial for a second, one of the most beautiful women in the Marvel Universe who is also a crime fighter, who knows your secret, who can share your life with you in a way that is equal, but you're going to reject her for the basically alcoholic – Party girl, flighty socialite who's already probably mentally unstable. Well, I think it's I think it's something that <laughs> yeah. for him. I mean, and, you know, love, love is blind. Yeah. <laughs> it's, some, it's good some, night, everybody. It's well something. Placed. I think he tried something different. No, you're right. You're right. And I think he do that. Sure. Yeah, true. because I mean, obviously, he tried the thing with Natasha. You know, and yeah. God bless him. I wouldn't. Don't blame him <laughs> one bit. Um, but I think this what Heather represented was. The Matt Murdock side of yeah, Daredevil. Yeah, no, I agree. You're right. And I think he tried – this is like silly. him trying – yeah, I know. Yeah. But I'm just saying <laughs> that, that's my rationale of yeah. it. That's how I you know, perceived it. And I was like, you know, this is him trying – maybe instead of embracing the superhero relationship, let's try embracing you know, somewhat quite, quite quote-unquote normal. But yeah. I mean obviously Heather's and not very normal. But... Not especially what happened to her father, which we talked about in the last episode. Right. But what, what – I think you made a good point. I think you hit the nail on the head actually because – in a lot of characters, they have that struggle where they try to balance the, the superheroic identity with their normal life, and even though it didn't work out that way, I think you're right. I think Heather, kind of like Karen Page would have if she had right. they had stayed together at that point, she represented that. But of course, as we mentioned, anyone who gets sucked into Matt Murdock's orbit, that means they're getting sucked into Daredevil's <laughs> orbit, and it's probably not going to end well. Yeah. Um, this issue, he, has a, he, he fights Dr. Octopus. Um, Which, again, there goes to that theme of yep, him Spider-Man playing Spider Man's characters. You yep. know? But it was fun. Oh, it was a good, it's, a good, it's a great battle. It's fun. And Heather actually helps him yeah. uh, in, in that battle. So I, I don't mean to suggest, Because it was Glenn Industries yeah. where they yeah. fought, right? I think he was trying to yep. steal adamantium or something, something like that. Yeah, because yeah. he wanted to make yeah. arms of adamantium, yeah. wasn't yeah. he? Yeah, yeah. So I, I don't mean to say Heather's not an important character because she's a very important character yes, in this I, time yeah. period. Yes. Um, now, issue 166, Foggy finally marries his longtime Debbie love Harris. and kind of femme fatale, really, uh, Deborah Harris. And uh, Matt, of course, is almost late to the wedding, and he's got to bring the ring because he, he ends up having to fight the gladiator who – remember, the gladiator goes back to the Silver Age. He has the buzz saws on his wrists. Mm-hmm. He's, fa- he's deluded. He fancies himself like a gladiator from ancient Rome and clearly not mentally stable. And Mackenzie and Miller flesh him out more as a character. Yes, absolutely. And his so his uh, either social worker, probation officer, I forgot which. She's trying to get him to to, to go to go the straight and narrow, mm-hmm. and he goes on a rampage. Uh, he, he murders a security guard in some kind of museum, um, but ultimately Daredevil is able to stop him. And they're going to pursue more with him uh, down the road. He actually becomes sort of a supporting character to some degree yeah. mm-hmm. in, in yeah. the Daredevil story. Yeah, like a bit of a team-up later on. Yeah. With Melvin Daredevil. Um, yeah. And now 166 is Mackenzie's last issue. He's then fired from the book. Um, and you know what? I, I, I don't know what happened to him after that. I can't find information on what he, if he did anything else in comics after that. He kind of vanishes. Um, if anybody on the forums can help us out with that. Yeah, because I'd, I'd love to know. I'd love to know because I don't think – he was not a bad writer. He just no. kind of gets overshadowed. Yeah, uh, by the, the sheer you know mindfulness. That's an understatement. All this. That's an understatement. So, yeah. I think, in my opinion, I mean, yeah. because you know, when I first got into these issues, I focused on Frank Miller. It, yeah. I didn't. I didn't really pay much Me attention. Too. Yeah. I. It wasn't until I, I was like, wait a minute, Frank didn't write all these, you know. But it's always Frank Miller's run on Daredevil, you know. And I understand it, but I mean, at first, I didn't catch that it was Roger McKenzie. Well, yeah, because I'm holding the 
the first because there's two, but the first Daredevil omnibus, and it's by Frank Miller and Klaus Janson. Yeah, and I understand why for all well, kinds sure. of reasons, but yeah, you know, we, we, I, I sometimes wonder if it's one of those things that did Frank, you know, kind of co-plot or even you know maybe throw some ideas, you know, work with Roger McKenzie. Well, in some of the last issues, he's noted as a co-plotter. Yeah, actually. so that's why I kind of so. think that you know it's kind of. You know that Roger was writing and set the tone for the book and set up what was to come. Yeah, and then Frank and him worked together, and then obviously Frank, you know, must have must have proposed what he had yeah. for an idea for the character to run with it, and they gave it to him. You know, which again was very significant. Go ahead, pants. Just for Roger McKenzie again using Comic Book DB. Mm. According to this, he's writing some backups in the Savage Dragon right now. Really? Huh. Yes. Oh, wow. still active. Okay. Hmm. Maybe you yeah, need to run into a, him a, at a show or Night something. Night Watchman yeah. is the character. Night Watchman. Oh, yes, from Big Bang Comics. There you go. Shoot the breeze with Roger McKenzie at oh, a yeah. show. That would be awesome. So he's still out there, you know, writing. Cool. Good Thank for you, him. sir. Yeah, Night Watchman's like a Batman analog. So. Ah, okay. Hmm. Issue 167, David McElhinney comes in and scripts that one issue. Uh, what I noted here, because I thought I'd forgotten about this, is this really cool backup feature in that story where Miller renders – like a layout of Daredevil's entire brownstone, mm-hmm. like yep. his training room. I forgot well, that he had yeah. kind of like a mini museum with like those masks on the wall yeah. that he would use for atmosphere. It's very noir. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he explains how his cane worked and, and the whole it's, – it's a really cool couple-page um, – Which is kind of a throwback dark, to the old Silver Age stuff. Dark Secret is called. Thank you, sir. <laughs> you know, the Silver Age, because they used to do that oh, stuff. Oh, yeah, they sure did. You know what I mean? Yep. They'd, D- Ditko did it with Spider-Man, and, you know, I mean, you just see that, like, how his web shooters work, and, yep. and, you know, how his webbing, you know, different ways he can shoot his webbing, mm-hmm. and, you know what I mean? That was all kind of cool stuff. I love those things. Yeah, I yeah. loved it, too. I mean, you used to see the, the, the breakdown of the Baxter building, you know, see the whole oh, cross yeah, section. Oh, yeah, Kirby and, did that, absolutely. Yeah, you know what I mean? So that's a, to me, that's like a throwback to yeah. that kind of stuff. And that went through all the way to, like, G.I. Joe's cross-section of the pit. The pit, and All yep. kinds of stuff that happened. Batman's utility belt, all I love this. Yeah, I love that stuff, stuff too. That was fun. Before we get into the electric, yes. just one thing I, I caught with, with um, regards to Frank Miller, with that one fill-in issue I mentioned of 160. Around that time, I didn't know this. He did the cover, Frank Miller did, to ROM number one. Yep. That's right. I forgot about that. Well, he done, did a couple of ROM covers. Yeah, I'm ama- yeah. just amazed. Yeah. The, the, well, of course, at that time, it was bi-monthly Daredevil, mm-hmm. so he had... He did a lot. He did a lot of covers. Yeah, yeah, when you yeah, go through, yeah. I mean, I remember seeing, uh, you know, Doctor Strange. Like he did promo pictures. Yes, he did. Yeah, Doctor like, Strange. Yep. You know what I mean? He did a lot of. St- and like I said, I used to look for him because when he did those Amazing Spider-Man annuals, the one with the Punisher and the one with Doctor Strange. Yeah, right? yeah, fourteen and fifteen. You know, so I mean, it was like you know, I used to look for his stuff. I mean, that was you know, I loved it. You know, and he was he was started to go everywhere. He was he was becoming like that, you know, all around artist. You know, the go to artist. You know, and 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 everything he was doing was cool. Now, 168 uh, – one more thing Please, before we friend. dive Please. into this very important issue, 168. Yeah. Uh, the fill-in by Michelini. Um It's not that important to Daredevil, but uh, it introduced <laughs> uh, characters Edwin Cord, a uh, corrupt industrialist, and an armored villain called Mauler. Mauler that's yeah. right. Now, 168 <laughs> – well, all right, this is a seismic shift for Daredevil. Miller does some amazing things here. First of all, as we mentioned earlier, he's clearly bringing his – his noir slash sort of spirit influence into the book. He's creating a femme fatale for Daredevil. What he also does that I think is just as interesting, he really fleshes out Matt Murdock's college past, mm-hmm. which you really didn't see much of at all no. beyond like issue one, you know, when he and Foggy are in school. And they really get into that in a lot more detail. And, you know, you appreciate like Foggy shows like the cheerful bumbling, you know, pal and so forth, wearing his moose antlers to his hazing ritual, for example. Yeah. But you really appreciate 
Matt as this young man who has been training his whole young life up to this point without his father knowing it. Um, and and just to, to see him use his powers that first time, I think he puts a scarf around puts his eyes. Puts a bandana around his eyes. A bandana, yeah. yeah. And, and it was a scarf. Yeah, I think you're right. And and you and I love how Electra. He asks Electra out, and she initially rejects him. Right. And the the implication is because you're blind. And then he says, "Wait a minute, olive oil." That's he calls her olive oil, and, mm-hmm. he, and he does like a vault over her. And, and you know, you really believe. And Miller does like a montage, like their first year as you know passionate young lovers. You really believe that these are two very young people who've never been in love before, and they're experiencing that. For the first time, mm-hmm. and the the wonderful back and forth between like the seedy docks where he's battling slaughter and his men, and and then Electra appears, and it's 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 great femme fatale where at the end, you know, they work together to defeat slaughter's men, and she goes mad. It is you. Well, and, and how he yeah. does that is yeah. that they they're battling this this guy and hit him low olive hit oil. Hit him low olive oil. She said back when when her father was killed yep. when he was when he was taken hostage by terrorists. And you can see the surprised look on Alexa's yeah. face and then she realizes and it and that is it that one issue was so powerful. Yeah, and, it and, was. And and, 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 and and for a character that was never around. No, yep. yeah, exactly. I mean, and, to bring her in shoot not shoehorn her but yeah. cog her into the machination that was Daredevil that is Daredevil. And she again, she fits right in place. There's nothing he doesn't tear down or change. Not at all. Anything he Not adds to what's all been there. Yeah. And and by the end, I mean it's almost like you're heartstrung with this character. Like she's been around for all well, this time. When Matt realizes her early, and he says, "God, I haven't thought of her in years," and then the pain comes back. And and even the emotion on her face. Well, when when he when he when they've defeated um, Slaughter's men, and Matt's mm-hmm. going to take take in this thief. They they he wanted to bring to justice. And he kisses her, and then she just she her face falls in her hands, and she just sobs, and he walks away from her. And I can only imagine because I mean I, I didn't read that book when it came out; I was probably too young at that, to, still at that point. But that must have floored people because yeah. it, that you didn't see a lot of things like that with that kind of tone in, in, in superhero comics. And it, and in that one issue, it adds all these layers to Daredevil and his history. Absolutely. And when you think about it. It's 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 a, it's a wonderful example of just concise one issue because they don't do this that that they don't do that much today mm-hmm. one issue one and done story mm-hmm. it was it's really outstanding and yeah. his first attempt at, at writing right and and it, it's a tremendous standalone issue yeah, it's, yeah. it's a great accomplishment it for is. any artist you know writer you know writing and drawing especially. in his early twenties yeah <laughs> it's, it's, <laughs> to be able to yeah. do such a significant story. Um, and let's talk a minute about how striking Electra's visual is too. Um, you know, again, the martial arts influence. I know Miller has studied martial arts. I believe he has, from what I've read, um, and, and swords and so forth. But to give her those size, mm-hmm. like I'd never seen a weapon I never like did that either. before. I mean, never did either. I mean, again, more, yeah. all the things you've seen ninja wise, it's either yeah. shuriken or yeah. katana, things of that nature. Yeah. But no, I've never seen all those you know ninjas using. A sigh, and uh, yeah. but, and obviously so, people in the know would have known what that weapon was, but I had no idea. I didn't either. And just her costume, and obviously the way she's drawn. And I think Jansen does a lot with that. She's so beautiful. Mm-hmm. I mean, she's a Greek woman. Those huge brown eyes, yeah. the long black hair. Um, I, I'm I'm just to see who they have play Electra in the Netflix series. I don't know who that's going to be. I, but, I don't even know if she's going to be in it. Um, uh, who knows? But she probably will. At some I hope point. so. But but I know um, Frank Miller's. Um, how should I say this? His mu- his model for Electra yeah. 
was his muse. Yeah, his muse. Uh, Lisa Lyons, who was like a one of the first like female fitness women bodybuilder mm-hmm. uh, women who you know she was attractive and that was starting to be more kind of acceptable mainstream in yeah. the '80s and. And I, I, I remember seeing her in my teens, you know, mm-hmm. seeing some, like, photo shoots and stuff, and they were, you know, embracing kind of that aspect mm-hmm. of, of the feminism and, and the bodybuilder aspect, but still making it glamorous, you know. And, and she did stand out, and that's who he utilized as Interesting. his I didn't know that. model, so to speak, for Electra. That's who he, you know, fashioned her after. Now, we should just, as we move into issue 169, we should mention that Electra doesn't go away. Miller starts to work her in as a, like a subplot character, and then that's going to build, of course, over the next several issues. Pants, I, I like the uh, Good Evening New York with Tom Snide. Oh, that's a nice little example yes. of, of the satire Miller brings into his lot of – you see a lot of that in Dark Knight Returns. For David Endocrine, yes, yeah. exactly. So, yeah. <laughs> now, 169, now Bullseye really goes off the rails. <laughs> okay, so On the crazy train. Yeah, you get this two-page splash oh, yes. where – He's uh, – I think he's broken out of prison. He's escaped. Yeah. And he's wearing like a surgical gown or something. And everybody on the streets is in a Daredevil costume. Yeah. Like, you know, but it's civilians. Like It's like a big black guy with a, a jukebox, like this dumpy, like fat white guy and like yeah. a little kid. And they're all dressed as Daredevil. Women, everybody yeah. he sees is Daredevil. And he begins killing them. Yeah. Um, so you're like, whoa, this is not your daddy's bullseye anymore. I mean no. he's slaughtering innocent bystanders just – you know, because he, he – we find out – he has a tumor in his brain, and Grant, he was already yeah, he was off the rocker, off his being, rocker. Yeah. But now he's in agonizing pain, and every, he's so obsessed with the fact that he is never able to defeat Daredevil. And now he sees Daredevil everywhere. I remember this one panel where like he picks up a guy and like throws him into a lamp post. I mean, it's it's really brutal. Um, and this is when he had the, the character Nick Manolis, who's like the police uh, foil for Daredevil mm-hmm. in these stories. Who's like the? He kind of reminds of Andy Sipowitz at NYPD Blue, <laughs> and um, Manolis, of course, will play a key role in Born Again when we get oh, yeah. come down the road. And, you know, he will not meet a good end. But um, and they end up fighting, and this is a key moment in the Daredevil Bullseye dynamic. Daredevil, it's a brutal fight in the on the subway, the subway system. I mean, this one scene where Daredevil like misses a bullet, like punches a steel girder, and he's in agony, and ultimately Daredevil. Knocks him out. That they're like strangling each other, but Daredevil prevails. And you had this several panels where Daredevil's agonizing. Should I just? There's a train coming, and he's thinking this guy has killed so many people. I should just leave him here. I hate him. I should leave him here. But then ultimately goes, you know, I I, I can't. And he pulls him out off the train tracks. And Bullseye will so hate him for doing that, yeah. Um, because you know for, for for saving him and having that kind of power over him. And I just have a little note here. You know, if Brian Deem were here, he'd be outraged. That it's like, why did he do that? Like, kill him. You know, <laughs> I, I remember when you guys were reviewing Shadowland. You know, when that was mm-hmm. out, where the the the, the, the possessed Daredevil does actually kill quote kill Bullseye. Right, right. Yeah. And Deemer was like, you know, all right, it's about time for God's <laughs> sake. I mean, come on. But you know, Matt Murdock is such a principled well, lawyer, and that's and that's the thing and about he feels Daredevil. The law has to take its course. Right. Basically. He has yeah. that that thing going on the inner conflict of him being believing in the law i mean he always believed in the law that's why he became a lawyer yep. and wanted to utilize that to help people but then still created this vigilante you know and and to to kind of subsidize what couldn't be done in the legal form so it's kind of a real moral conflict yeah and obviously this is a reflection of that and then i think you know 
that he actually contemplated leaving him. He did. They, they, they have him thought, thought balloons of him just, I, it, should, I should leave him here. Which, you know, yeah. obviously in other books it was just like that was never thought of. You know yeah. what I mean? It was just like got to, you know, he just – You got to save him. I'm the hero. He's the villain. Yeah, got to get him, him put him in jail, you yeah. know. So, uh, so it's something that you, you see that little window. You start to see that glimpse of, of, of that, you know, that, that Matt's like, you know, I'll consider. You know, yeah. maybe, maybe that's just, you know, there's nothing that's going to – you're not going to – Rehabilitate, rehabilitate this, this guy. Yeah, he's just he's maniacal. Now, issue one. Well, set... at the end of the issue, ahead, then Vince. the operation. Oh, he's better. <laughs> and, Manolis, and Manolis is saying to Daredevil, you know, you, you should have left him there because you know he's going to kill again. And next time, it'll be your fault. He yeah. says. And Matt will agonize the subsequent issues that he's basically thinks to himself, "Bullseye is now my responsibility." Right. Um, now, issue one seventy is very important because the kingpin now appears in Daredevil. What I like here is they they. Don't forget the fact that Stan Lee established years ago that the Kingpin is, is so fixated on his wife, Vanessa. That's always been a theme from the 60s, mm-hmm. and they, they continue with that. It's, it's now more sinister and murderous because um, like in the Silver Age, like if someone mentioned the Kingpin's wife, he'd like slap the guy. Now he like breaks people's necks. But anyway, yeah. um, we find out the Kingpin is in Japan, and they have the – this is vintage Kingpin. They open with him. Batting like ten guys, this is like his workout, which they've been doing that for decades, yeah. and he you know beats them all very quickly. That he said you know it's, it's, it's warm up, and we find out he's left the underworld for his wife, who like brings out his humanity. He's retired. He's living in like Japan in some villa, and the U.S. government wants him to turn state's evidence because he collected files on all of his lieutenants who are now running his his syndicate, and to prevent that, his underlings kidnap Vanessa. Which forces the kingpin to try to return to New York City, and to try to get his wife back. And this this story goes on for several issues. Yeah. This, this this is an excellent story. Um, and this issue, they start to establish this is not your daddy's kingpin, and this starts to begin that the kingpin is going to be Daredevil's primary adversary, and we really start to bring in the whole underworld feel now of the Daredevil comic. And issue 171, they have it right on the front, you know, now monthly again. Like they return yeah. to the monthly oh, schedule. Right, right. It's issue 171. At, and, at last. At last. Monthly. There you go, sir. <laughs> and in the Donnybrook that ensues. Um, Donnybrook. The, I need to appreciate that, <laughs> my pantaloons. Um, the the uh, Kingpin's lieutenant, I think he's named oh, – not Flint. I forgot his name. He wants the Kingpin to return to the throne, and he actually manipulates things where – Vanessa actually ends up – you think she's killed in like an explosion. The building collapses, and the kingpin is, is beside himself with gr- grief and rage, and now he feels, well, I have to return to the underworld and to get revenge and so forth. And we find out in issue 172, Vanessa's not dead. She now has amnesia. She's kind of wandering the streets and sewers like a bag lady mm-hmm. uh, essentially, but uh, the kingpin doesn't realize that. And what happens is the kingpin – and they do this several times. The kingpin outmaneuvers Daredevil. He outmaneuvers him in like their chess game essentially, and he, he gives up his lieutenants so they're going to be taken in by the government. But he retains his position, and he takes control of the mobs again because he thinks his wife is dead, so there's no other reason to stay clean, so right. to speak. And Bullseye is all in these stories as well, and he kills more people, so Matt feels responsible and he takes him on, and he defeats him again. Because Bullseye was actually working for the Kingpin's turncoat lieutenants, and he realizes these guys don't know what they're doing. And he switches the allegiance to the Kingpin. Kingpin. Mm-hmm. And there's a great closing scene in issue uh, 172 
where the kingpin says, all right, you know, you can take Bullseye with you because you've beaten him. And for the moment now, you're on top, but, but my lieutenants have all ter- been taken in, and I'm going to use this time to rebuild my organization. So you'll have to deal with me again in the future, that kind of thing. Um, so this is, this is the kingpin who's more Machiavellian, mm-hmm. who's very sinister and, and you know, deadly. Yeah. Uh, issue 173, Matt clears the gladiator, Matt Melvin Potter, who was accused of uh, murder. And, yeah, and, it was and, murder, yeah. And – this is an interesting issue because they kind of explore the S and M world a little bit. Um, they, they they kind of allude to it. They don't. They, no, they don't call it that. But no. he goes to these different joints where people are wearing leather masks yeah. and, and so forth. And it turns out that his Matt secretary Becky was assaulted early in her life. That's why she lost the use of her legs. And the guy who the police think is doing these crimes, they think it's the gladiator. It's not. It's that this guy looks like him. And Matt eventually apprehends him, and, and he, he convinces Becky to call the police and act as a witness, and Melvin is cleared. Mm-hmm. And this will lead him to giving up being the gladiator, and he's going to open his costume shop because yeah. he's a tailor. And that has implications down the road Absolutely. as well. Major. Yeah. Issue 174 is very important in Marvel history. It's the first appearance of the hand. Not the foot, which we know from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, <laughs> uh, which they clearly got, you know, got that satirical inspiration, but – this is a red-garbed mystical ninja cult that operates as, as you know, as assassins for hire. But they had this mysticism about them. You know, when when an operative of the hand is defeated or dies, his body dissolves. Yeah, it becomes it's like With a release pungent, of energy, pungent stench. Yeah. Um, we find out that Electra, who's been popping up in some of these issues behind the scenes, she's torn about because you know she still has feelings for Matt Murdock. She realizes he's with Heather Glenn. There's one scene where – I forgot which issue – where she kind of breaks into the apartment and she sees the picture of Heather and yeah. she puts her head in her hands and she, she leaves the window as Heather comes in. And she's secretly trying to protect Matt now from the hand. Um, issue 175, they start to establish that Matt is becoming increasingly dismissive of Heather. Like she breaks up with him. He's like, oh, this is like the third time this month she's <laughs> broken up with me. Um, and, and Heather is, is really a tragic character because we have to go back to the Purple Man story. Her father was, was – under the Purple Man's thrall, and you know he, he committed all these crimes ahead of Glenn Industries. He ends up committing suicide. Matt kind of is blamed for that when he's Daredevil. There's a famous cover in the Bronze if she, she sees Matt without his mask on. Yeah. So there's already that that tragedy there, mm-hmm. and she's struggling. Um, and you know they kind of portray as kind of a flighty party girl, but she's also she's clearly someone who's, who's really hurt and has a lot a lot of a lot going on there behind the scenes. And this is when the assassin. Uh, Kirigi appears, who is like this seemingly immortal yeah. assassin of the hand that keep resurrecting as a gigantic, like seven foot tall mm-hmm. ninja. And the hand are also hunting Electra because she we find out later she's a she was a member of the hand, so they see her as a turncoat, and then she went on to become a bounty hunter. And uh Electra and DD fight Kirigi together. Uh, and Matt is, is torn because he feels Electra has to be brought in because she's a criminal, right? She's a she's a mercenary. Um, so there's that tension. Um, 176, the first appearance of Stick, yeah. who was a very important character in uh, the Daredevil uh, run, the, the history of Daredevil. And when we get to Man Without Fear, the miniseries, yeah, really. Stick plays a huge role in that. But again, Miller is bringing in stuff that you never knew was out there. It doesn't affect any of the history. It's just, well, it makes sense. How do you learn to use his powers, right? Miller fills that in basically. Yeah. And we, Stick is like a pool shark, 
working in, you know, he's hustling people in these dives. Who's also, he's also blind. He's also blind. You know, he's this short little guy. And you start to realize that this is Matt's mentor. And we find out that Matt has, has quote, lost his radar sense. I think there's an explosion or something. Yeah, it and was in uh, – that was later though, wasn't it? It was 185? No, there no, was – that's, that's when his senses go overreact and he, and they, he can't filter oh, them out. because then they put him in the isolation. Yeah, chair. this okay. is where he, he's, he's, quote, lost it. When the hand made attempt on his life. Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah okay, okay. And he, he, he's going to his mentor to help for, for sort of retraining. And this issue, Electra actually slays uh, Kirig. There's a tremendous battle where uh, I think he's like in a – she drives a tractor trailer into him and – I mean he, she's, there's, there's swords sticking out of him. Yeah, and, and he's, you know he's, I mean? he's lit on fire and, and then <laughs> I think she beheads him. Yeah. Um, she, she puts like both sides into his chest. It's, it's a great uh, battle scene. Um, in issue 177, this is very interesting. Stick tell and, – and Stick is – like classic, you know, like the, the curmudgeonly teacher, he like calls him names, mm-hmm. and like, you know, you're a bum, you know, you know, you're a snot-nosed punk. And he says, look, you bozo, everybody on Earth has a radar sense, just no one knows how to tap into it or use it. That accident you had is not the radiation, he says. And I think this is a great retcon by Miller. Yeah, me too. He says, all it did was just tap into what's always been there. Right. And he says, I'm going to teach you how to tap into it again. Then he has these great scenes where Matt is firing an arrow. At a target, and eventually he hits the bulls, and then he just keeps hitting it over and over, and he's rediscovered like the basically radar sense. what, what yeah. Miller did, and this is what I loved about it is is more of an expansion of your own awareness. It's, exactly, you yeah. know, it's not so much that you have this super powered radar. Yeah. You know, it's the fact that you are, you everybody has the capability of you know utilizing, but but you know these these extra senses, you know, this this abilities that we have, and and that's what Stick has taught. Matt Murdock is that you expand your awareness, you feel right. it, you feel this, you know. So it's not, and I and to me that grounded it for me. You know what I mean? And that's no, I, I thought it was brilliant. You know, brilliant I, move. I, you know, I know there's like I know there used to like argumentation on you know some people are just like oh no he has a radar sense a superpower you know and I'm like no I like this you know so there's there, it does kind of split some yeah. Daredevil fans you know I've been in discussions with some you know that some want to stick with what Stan Lee did and then others are like, you know, no, this is... But see, what's interesting about it is you could really look at it either way if you wanted to, right? Right. I, I mean, because they both work in, in that fantasy world, essentially. Yeah, I mean, it's yeah. not like one, you know, is so completely different than the other. Yeah. But I mean, to me, it just, it it grounded it for me for Daredevil, you know, and it made it more real, you know? Especially when you have the ninja in influence right. to it. Now, also this issue, we start to see like the kingpin who thinks Vanessa's dead... He's now going to try to take control of New York City's government. He has a pawn in the mayoral race. Chira. Randolph Winston. Cherry. 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 Yeah. Mm-hmm. Thank you, sir. With an H on the end. Yep, exactly. that's right. And the, the Daily – Ben Urich has uncovered evidence that Cherry is the kingpin's pawn, and this is a great J. Jonah Jameson moment. <laughs> and Urich goes to Jameson like, do you want me to kill the story because it could ruin the bugle? And they have Jameson – this is so noirish, just kind of – in, in the shadow, the blinds, looking at the window, and there's a pause, and he goes, no, run it. Mm-hmm. But you better be – you damn well better be right, yeah. basically. And we often forget, Ginger Jameson does have integrity. Well, right? he, yeah, I mean, I mean, unfortunately, we've always been exposed to him you know, post-Spider-Man. But obviously before then, he wasn't the editor of the, one of the greatest newspapers ever by being a dick. You know what yeah. I mean? He's like – he had to have some sort of integrity and yeah. some sort of you know, uh, established – 
means of being, you know, a writer and, and, and becoming a great editor. So, yeah. I mean, this is just showing you that, which we never really saw before so much. And 178, Power and Iron Fist, I think, have always worked well with Daredevil because they're, again, and they're all going to be having all their Netflix series yeah. all going to come together eventually, which is not no coincidence. They're all great street-level characters. Yeah. And this is kind of amusing because Matt and Foggy are defending the Bugle from a Cherry lawsuit. And also they realize their lives are at risk. So Foggy, in his bumbling good intentions, hires the heroes for hire to act as bodyguards for Matt. And there's, there's, there's slapstick where Matt's trying to get away from Power Man Iron Fist so he can become Daredevil. Uh, and, and Pants, the title page of this is Pure Eisner. Yep. Paper P- chase. Yeah. Ugh. Pure Eisner. They have, you know, leaflets on the breeze with the, 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 the credits for the creative team. And you really see the Eisner influence mm-hmm. uh, very much there. Um. 179, I think, is a classic cover. Oh, yeah. Somebody had to win. (laughs) And it's Daredevil – excuse me. It's Elektra holding up her side with Daredevil's cow, you know, the side running through it essentially. And Elektra is now working for the Kingpin. As an assassin. She is hired because Bullseye is out of the picture, so he's hired her. There's a great scene in earlier issue where Kingpin sends minions to kill her. She kills them all, and then there's a note on the table saying (laughs) – if you've survived this, you're quite the assassin I've heard. Let's discuss employment <laughs> opportunities in my organization. Pure kingpin. Yeah. And, you know, the very corporate. And Ben Urich is, is meeting with a stool pigeon in a movie theater. I always found this very chilling. Oh, yeah. Where oh, God, yeah. he's going to spill the beans on the chair and how Cherry's a, a creature of the kingpin. And you suddenly see the guy's shirt expand yeah. outward. And whenever Electra kills, you never notice this is a great touch. She has such control when she kills. The blade never actually pierces their shirts. They right. do this more than once. Right. And then she pulls it back just enough. And the guy slumps over dead and the the panic and fear in Yurik's eyes. And then she just whispers to him, you know, however she, she puts puts it more elegantly than I will. She says, you know, keep, keep your mouth shut or you're or you're dead, essentially. And she move, says you're, and, and, move or speak yeah. and you will join him. Sit there and sit here and watch the movie. Mm-hmm. And she leaves him there, and in that issue, Ben and Matt realize Vanessa's alive, and they're going to send into the, into the literally into the underworld, the sewer system, to systems. find her. Mm-hmm. And Matt and Electra end up in a major fight, and Electra set a bear trap, which uh, that's cool. Yeah, and and she he gets <laughs> caught in it, and she's like, you know, she's looking at him like how helpless you are, and then she kicks a brick wall. The bricks fall on Matt, and then Yurik's taking photos of the battle. She hears the shutter click, and it's great art by Miller yeah. and Jansen. You see the terror in Yurik's face. He tries to run, and the sigh comes into her hand, and she just runs him right through. She throws it at yeah, him. She throws it, yeah. And he just says, what do you say, damn cigarettes? Lousy cigarettes. Yeah, because he can't, can't run yeah. fast enough. Not <laughs> the last panel's yeah. black. And then, yeah. Yeah. You think, oh, my God, is Ben Yurik dead? I mean, it's a great way to end the issue. You think Daredevil's dead for crying yeah. out loud. Yeah, and then <laughs> – Issue 180, uh, you know, some time has passed because Ben is alive and he's back at the Daily Bugle and he's basically telling like a, a copy boy, I was breathing through a tube for weeks and, you know, I'm done with this. You know, I'm spiking the story, yeah. you know, because his w- long-suffering wife and all that. And But D.D. does find Anessa. Ben goes down there with him. And, again, this is magnificent artwork. The last page of that story – the kingpin is, is gloating as you watch the TV because his pawn has won the election. The bugle has retracted their story. And then Vanessa's ring bounces onto the table. Mm-hmm. And the art, you see sheer grief on the kingpin's face. He puts his head in his hand, and he says, you know, to Daredevil, you know, 
what do you want? What do you want? And he says, Sherry. Sherry goes on TV, retracts. He says, I, I can't I can't go through that anymore. I'm corrupt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. And uh and then the kingpin is talking to Electra, who's behind me. He says, you know, someone has to die for this. He says, Murdoch is too dangerous because Daredevil always defends him. There's an, a, another man, unimportant. No one will miss. Your next target, Electra, is Franklin Nelson. Yeah. And she shows him the picture. She looks at it uh, emotionless. And then – Here it comes. 181. 181. Yeah. What's great about this issue, especially – and Shane, I, I want to hear more of what you think because you read it for the first time is – it's all narrated from Bill's eyes perspective, oh, yeah. yeah, and that's what makes it so striking because he's a complete homicidal maniac, and but yet you're following his own twisted logic as to why he's doing what he's doing, and he's so obsessed with Daredevil and wanting to beat Daredevil, and that's that's his focus for the entire story. I mean, his escape. Um, the, the the chilling scene where he breaks out of the talk show and he murders the one Again, guard. Tom Snide. Yeah. And Which he wasn't going to do at first either. He forgot. They said, oh, yeah. I, I meant whatever the guard's name was. He just shoots him right in the head because yeah. the guard always taunted him with his medication because mm-hmm. he still gets headaches from that tumor. There's a great scene with the Punisher when he's in prison mm-hmm. and the Punisher is taunting him because he wants the, the bullseye to get a break out and do something <laughs> stupid and be killed basically. Yeah. Um, but – did they have a history that the Punisher would have nope. just walked no. up to him? Mm-hmm. Okay. No. This is something that Miller establishes. Yep. And Miller does more with the Punisher going forward, as we're going to discuss. But the fact that Bullseye... Well, the thing is... Go ahead. I'm yeah. sorry. I no, don't no, no, please, please. The thing is, what you know, this is 181. 182, obviously, is the issue that we know it is. We'll discuss that. And then you have the Angel Dust story. And then you have the Angel Dust story, which yeah. is Child Child's Play, which, yeah. is, which is Daredevil and the Punisher. Yeah. That was supposed to... Have been published before. Oh, I didn't know that. I thought so, one eighty one that those two issues were supposed to be published before, and they got kind of were they already done? Like that they've been produced? Yeah, they, 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 oh. they were in the bag. You know, they, okay. it was already established. He was already doing them. Yeah, and they pushed him out because I think of the content. You know, with the but you know it was totally about Angel Dust and the PCP yeah. and and the Punisher and all the and and I guess from what I understand is that Marvel didn't want to publish it. You know, so they bounced around, and then obviously after, again, I think it, it's a testament of the significance of what Frank Miller has done with Daredevil that they revisited and allowed him to publish those stories in 183 and 184 because those issues were supposed to come out before this. Great insight, sir. God, I'm glad you're here. That so. explains why in Comic Book DB those two issues are listed as being co-written by McKenzie. Exactly. Still are they really? Things. I didn't yes. realize that either. Yeah. Ugh. Oh. God, I love these. All I love right. them. Thank you for that. Yeah, that account. was supposed yeah. to happen way before, you know. So that was something that was established before. Interesting. And, but, you know, so I don't know how much or how different the final published versions are or if there's anything different, you know, that they kind of had to retcon or, you know, redo some things That's to help fit it into. Yeah. I don't know because I, I've never seen or heard, you know, what the original issues Look like and what the storyline. Well, was. I would think after the impact of 181 and 182, why wouldn't you publish those stories? Well, and, the, right? and I think I mean, because obviously the Punisher was, you know, he brought the Punisher in for the, you know, and he was becoming a popular right. And you saw him obviously well. in prison then, and that, yeah. you know, so, so yeah, it was it was interesting when I found that out that those stories were actually completed before what you're what we're discussing now. And Bullseye figures out that Matt Murdock is Daredevil. He puts pieces together, and uh, he starts to trail Daredevil. Um, he goes to the kingpin who thinks, what are you, unwell? You think a blind attorney is Daredevil? 
and he says, you know, bring me Daredevil's body, and you know, then we can talk. Um, and he fight, he realized that Elektra has been tasked to kill Foggy, so he's following them. And I got to tell you, I know the page number in your edition pants, but the page where, where Franklin Foggy realizes who Elektra is, he goes, "In college, you were Matt's girl, Elektra." The art is so breathtaking. Mm-hmm. The look on her face, her brown when, eyes. When, when he's in the taxi cab. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Where, where he's on his knees and she's about to gut him, basically. It's a top yeah. panel yeah. where she, it's, it's and, a third of the page and yeah. it's just a close-up on her face. And then when she says, get out of here. Yeah. And her, the, way, the, the, the red color in her eyes narrow with like – you can tell that she's – in a way, she probably hates Matt because of the way she makes him – he makes her feel. Because she yeah. doesn't want to feel that way. I no. mean, we have to remember – when her father was killed in 168, she shut off emotion. She, she left Matt. She says, I can't love you. I can't give anything. Joined the hand. Yeah, and she, she went off. Yeah. So it's powerful. And then, and then we come to – and this is what floored me as a kid when I first read this. And Shane, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. One, two, three, four, five of the most gripping hand-to-hand combat scenes probably ever rendered in a comic book. I mean – the sequential storytelling, because there's no dialogue. There's no mm, caption no. box. Well, there's a few caption boxes of Bullseye thinking as he's <coughs> fighting her. But this yeah. is not, you know, you know, Silver Age Batman punching somebody. And, you know, it, it's, these, a two, it's a twofold purpose yeah. for, for Bullseye because obviously it's to get Matt Murdock. But obviously he, needs, he wants to get her out of the way because he has to prove himself to the kingpin again. Right. Yes. And so if he takes out his top assassin, then that establishes, reestablishes him. But then also he's got this whole thing going on of you know of of he wants believing to hurt, Matt he wants to hurt Murdoch he wants yeah. to hurt Murdoch and so it's like you know it's just that's what's so beautiful about it is like all these paths cross you know yeah. what I mean and it's all significant. But does he know that her and Murdoch were together in college? Like, wouldn't Bullseye be oblivious to that? No, it's it's the out? thing with Franklin. Okay. Franklin's going to be assassinated by yeah. Electra. He's yeah. been trailing her, so he knows. He, hear, he hears it all. He okay. knows what's right going there. on. So it's not. It doesn't have to do with Electra and Matt. It, just, it, makes, to do it with, just makes it sweeter for him. It has to be with with Franklin and Matt. So you know, obviously, he's believing at this point that Daredevil is Matt Murdock, and he knows obviously Murdock and Nelson. You know, so he's seeing that Kingpin's top assassin, who he wants that spot again, is going to kill Franklin Nelson. So it's it's just everything. Just it, it's so. And what's striking is. You can tell by the way that the sequential storytelling is done. These look like real martial arts moves. Oh, yeah. Like you believe – like when, when yeah. Bullseye grabs Lux by the hair and pulls her chin down on, on his – it's a savage fight on her knee. Uh, when, he, when he kicks her from, while he's crouching and she falls back towards the car, um, she's using her, her headpiece to try to, to kind of strangle him. Yeah. Um, and when he takes out that playing card – and boy, and boy, the, spades. and boy, the movie just totally blew oh, this yeah. scene so yeah. badly. Yeah. Um, besides that stupid, idiotic outfit they had uh, the actor in, but um, <laughs> and I, th- I think Colin, Colin, uh, Colin Farrell, Farrell, I think he's a good actor. Oh, yeah. But uh, you know, if, anyway, we'll get to that yeah, later. Yeah, just but, gonna say, yeah, that's but a whole other episode. <laughs> when, when he when he guts her, and I'm like a 12 year old kid. I'm like, holy shit! Like I've never seen something like this. Well, he you went know, for the jugular. In, in a he comic. threw the ace of spades and sliced her throat. And then one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight panels, top to bottom, of her struggling, falling to her knees, spilling blood out of her torso, getting back up to go to Matt. And it's pure noir, mm-hmm. the femme fatale at the feet of like her – the guy – the good guy she should have you know, been with the whole time. 
and she goes to him at the end and she dies in his arms. And Bullseye's there yeah, watching the entire thing. thing yep. And everyone's and, in horror. And, yeah, and he's, he's lighting a cigarette. Yep. Yeah. Um, and then when they go – when they're in the medical examiner's office and Bullseye throws the blade and just the stick comes yep. up and blocks it. He knows, oh, it's, he's totally Daredevil. Yeah. Now. And uh, their final battle. Which like you, you always yeah. say like the battle between him and Elektra. Oh, this is just as powerful. <sighs> I mean – the, And even the black silhouettes. Oh, the use of shadow in this. Yeah. When he goes up the steps and they had the masks on the wall as part of Matt's little museum, he uses the dummy reading about uh, reading dictating about the Constitution, to the, which to throws the, Bullseye off for yep, a couple totally. seconds. Yeah, and uh, well, I don't think he ever gets it. He doesn't. He thinks Matt is He's, now separate. Yeah, he, thinks, he thinks. He thinks. Yeah, that, that he, he he reestablishes that they are you know two different, two different people, and and Bullseye is dumbfounded. So. Yep. And that battle where he pulls out Electra's size to mm. use against him. Because mm. not only is he dumbfounded that he's not going to get Daredevil at that second, he's also beaten him again. Yes. It's amazing sequential storytelling. I mean, and, and again, th- th- this and fight – It's a brutal fight. This fight has virtually yeah. no captions or dialogue in it. And – You get you know, to that same thing that happened in that previous yep, issue. They're fighting on a subway train. They end up on the high wire, yep. the, the, the electrical line. And Matt and does that thing on the Matt electric line. Has perfect balance because mm-hmm. basically Matt Murdock is a trained ninja, right? Yeah. We, as we start to realize, and I think he drops him. I do too. Right? He drops I, him. I, I think so too. He does. Oh yeah. It's not like Bullseye. He loses his grip. He just says, "You'll kill no one ever again." He lets right. him go. He lets yep. him go. Basically. Although Absolutely. you could argue in the, that middle panel, the size heading. Cause well, he's he's going to impale him, so he has to drop him. Right. But so I think you know, that was kind of the do ex machina. You know that yeah. he was going to drop him anyway. Probably. Right. But yeah. that just gives him self defense. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Right. But I thought too. He, but see, he that's where see that him. again. That's the powerful thing where you saw that hint of him yeah. go like. Oh, I, sh- I should l- just let this guy die. And then he saves him at the end. And now he's there at that same crossroad. And yeah. he's like, you know what? Fuck Screw it. Screw it. You're yep. dead. You know, After then, what you just did. Right. And that's to me, that's the first time that that's ever been done with a hero and, and, and a main villain, you know, a main adversary that he was just like, you know what? Fine. You, the world is better off without you. You need to die. You know, the law well, is not. Think about it. Because he spared Bullseye, Bullseye killed his first love. Right. Now, Electra, you could argue, was already on the path to dying the way because of the way she lived, but However, it just makes it all that much more powerful exactly. the way she dies. Yeah. And the fact that Bullseye is then entombed in his own body. Yeah. But can't even talk. But all he, he still has the hatred. Oh, my God. Look at the eyes. No, it, I it, mean, look at those eyes. This, the, I think this, this book is such an artistic achievement mm-hmm. in terms of the sequential storytelling, the emphasis on both Bullseye's eyes, Electra's eyes. There's so much about eyes and expressive eyes in this story. It, it's. It's a monumental and, achievement. And to think when he's in the studio and he fakes the headache again mm-hmm. and the per, the guard gives him the pill, he could have done that at any time oh, sure. right. in prison. That just shows that, – that established how calculating yep. – even though he's a you know, homicidal maniac. Oh, he's still a brilliant assassin. He's still a brilliant yeah, assassin. I mean, come on. Yeah. Now, 182 oh. – go ahead, Pants, please. Um, before we get off of 181, uh, I have my copy, my actual copy ah, I think I have from your copy. store of 184. Okay. Which has a letter column. Is that No More Mr. Nice Guy? Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> and in the back, it's called Devil's Advocate. Dirty, dirty couple, Harry Daredevil. A couple of letters from the time I'd like to, to read about it. Mm. The first uh, actually is from Diana Schultz, who went on later on to be his the, editor, the editor at Dark Horse. At Dark Horse. Yeah. Oh. She, uh, it's not Schultz. It's Schutz, isn't it? Sh- I'm sorry. Schutz. That's right. I'm sorry. Miss misspoke. Schutz. Um, she says, Dear Frank, you did it. You actually did it. You killed her. And at, at the very end, yeah, and she goes, and I cried. Another letter says, I could rave on at great length, but anything I could say would really be superfluous. 
Daredevil 181 speaks for itself. It is unquestionably one of the finest pieces of work in comics literature. And, you know, people going on about, oh, I'll miss her. I, you know, you didn't need to kill her. Um, <laughs> Don't worry, gang. Some, somebody, <laughs> says this, somebody said this is Bernie Cascone from Western Ontario, Canada. says, Dear Editor, Frank Miller is a genius, but let's not forget, so was Hitler. I'm like, <laughs> oh, my wow. God. Wow, this is the letter column. Wow. wow. Talking about it. So 181. Strikes emotion. What was that? Yes, what, was that what was that letter writer's name? Um, Bernie Cascone. Bernie, if you're still alive. (laughs) Fans Uh, overreacting isn't just for the internet. Exactly. exactly. It all worked out, my friend. Don't worry. She came back. (laughs) (laughs) But, yeah, so this is what I want to read. Talk about this issue from the time. We did the same thing. We read letters about Gwen Stacy dying that were also very interesting. Yes, yes. All right. Now, issue 182. (laughs) This is a great cover. I I I mean, mean, I'm telling you, that cover to me. I remember when that cover hit the freaking newsstand, yeah. and I looked at that cover, and I was like – I was already sold on the book. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I was just like – I mean that cover em- evokes so much emotion. Ugh. It's him holding – it's embracing the, the tombstone. without his mask on. Yep, yeah. without the mask. Covered and then in, in snow. the snowstorm, yeah. which obviously you know implies the, the cold – you know, loneliness. I mean, so it sets the mood, and I mean, there's just so much about that cover. That is just one of my all-time favorite covers of all time. And the splash page is a sweat on his brow, Matt Murdock eyes wide, thinking she's alive. She's alive. He doesn't want it to believe. And the story is he's actually having Becky, a secretary, exploring the possibility of you know the, the medical examiner and, and the coroner, the coroner's report, and the whole thing. You know, and you have Foggy and Becky starting to think, is he losing it? I mean, yeah, even Kingpin says, Daredevil, are you ill? Yeah. But the thing is, though, I mean, as you're going through and reading the story and being on this journey with Matt Murdock, in a way, he almost starts to get you to kind of think, well, no, maybe she is alive. Yeah. You know what I mean? So you, it takes you on this, this roller coaster that's kind of like, you know, you know she's dead, but as you're following him and going through his eyes, you're like, well, maybe and that she makes is the, alive. that makes the ending all the more powerful exactly. when he exhumes the corpse and she's there. And then he just falls sobbing into Foggy's arms. Yeah. I mean, you just had 181, and then you have this. Yeah. I mean, like, this guy is it's going one, through the ringer it's now. It's called yeah. the one-two I mean, punch. And that's, it's, it's a little batshit crazy to exhume someone <clears throat> yeah. that soon. Yeah. And uh, we should also point out the Punisher escapes from prison mm-hmm. in this story. Apparently, he's helped out by some unnamed government agent who wants him to stop, intercept some drug shipment. Yeah. Uh, and this leads us in – Pants, you have a comment? I'm sorry. No, no. This leads us into another another classic of this era, which is the the two part Angel Dust storyline issues one eighty three to one eighty four. Child's play. Child's play, which is reprinted, it was reprinted in a prestige format. Yep. Uh, uh, Marshall Rogers did the cover for yep. that. And we find out that at his local schoolyard, where Matt is giving a a lecture on the law, a little a little girl throws herself out the window because she's high. It's PCP, and right. she's totally hallucinating, and you know. I don't mean like a pleasant, hey, I'm taking a mushroom hallucination. This is like some horrible – she's like seeing snakes and she's right. out of her mind. And she jumps out the window. She's killed. She doesn't, she doesn't survive. And Matt starts to – as Daredevil starts to investigate, where did this girl get these drugs? They're incredibly powerful and dangerous. Um, and he comes into conflict with the Punisher who is there in the area killing drug dealers left and right. Mm-hmm. And uh, they end up in conflict. There's a great scene where the Punisher is beating a junkie to death. It's just some junkie. It's not like he's a dangerous criminal because uh, he wants information. And, and Daredevil actually stops him, and yeah. he has to re- re- resuscitate the guy and so forth. And we find out that 
the brother of the little girl, he is, wants revenge, and he believes that a certain drug dealer has done it. And we find out that the drug dealer may not have done it. Then we find out the guy had a pacemaker, and Matt defends him in court, gets the guy off. Like, his nickname is Hogman, and Hogman goes, oh, by the way, Murdoch, because it's double jeopardy. I did it. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I'm the drug dealer. I, I, I think there was a murder he committed as well. Like he, sil- he silenced somebody else, and um, but you, and gets Murdoch to question himself, yeah. going like, "Am I really losing it? You know, how did I? I you know, I, I'm sure I checked this out, and yeah. he was telling the truth, and and they, he ends up in battle with the Punisher, and the Punisher doesn't want to hurt Daredevil, and there's a great climactic moment, hence the cover, No More Mister Nice, where, where Matt's holding up the 357 Magnum, where to stop the Punisher, Matt shoots him in the shoulder, yeah, and. Uh, it turns out, you know, the the, the drug pusher is brought to justice, um, but it he, sets up that whole dynamic between the Punisher yeah, and which Daredevil. Been milking is, ever since, yeah, they've, yeah, basically. But what also is important these stories, and boy, this is whacked. Matt proposes to Heather Glenn right after Elektra has died. Yeah, that's a big warning flag right there. <laughs> and he says, you know, I, I want you to marry me. That does not bode well. Um, <laughs> I'd forgotten how fun issue 185 is. No, no, one, Go one ahead, second. sir. Please, please. The, the Angel Dust issues, mm-hmm. what years were they? 1982 or three? Yeah, 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 okay. Because I was wondering where where the Spider-Man issue that – Oh, that was early 70s. That was early 70s. Yeah, yeah you're talking so – That was way – But we have to remember – that's a good question, Shane. We're getting to the time period on the 80s. You have that really large – like say no to drugs type oh, movement. Yeah. And you know you have oh yeah the Reagan era and yeah, yeah. sure and you have you know made just the, say no and... made, you know street crime having to do with hard drugs mm-hmm. like crack is starting to show up in, in the in the in the culture etc. Well, yeah, I mean you had you when know? that Spider Man issues you had the marijuana you had you know the uh, the acid trips and all that stuff. Now you're dealing with cocaine. I mean the yeah. '80s was cocaine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, cocaine so, was another. So this big is a one. whole different level, a whole other level. Yeah, of... These are not drugs associated with like you know the free love of the '60s. These are. Yeah, these are harsh. deadly, yeah. poisonous. I just wondered how much know, time they're being portrayed as such. I mean, it's not yeah. like they're glamorizing them. Or no, anything. no, exactly. no, not at all. I just wondered how much time had passed between quite the two. a while. Yeah, yeah, you're talking seventy one, seventy or seventy one. I think yeah. seventy one is when yeah. those issues came out for Spider Man, and this is ninety six to ninety eight. Yeah. So you're talking eleven, twelve issues uh, years later. So okay, so he proposes now issue one eighty five. I'd forgotten. This is a foggy solo story. This story is funny. It starts with. Daredevil talk to the audience and say, okay, look, my pal Foggy is going to narrate this issue. Just kind of go with it, basically. And Fo- it's called – I think it's called Guts. Mm-hmm. And is. Yeah. Foggy is trying to – he takes on – he pretends to be like this inf- underworld enforcer. And he actually – I forgot what – he's trying to gain information for something. I don't remember what it was exactly. But the bottom line is he ends up working with Turk, who actually believes is a real, a real tough guy. And they end up in a confrontation with the kingpin. And Daredevil is shadowing Foggy, kind of like making sure everything works out for him. And in the end, the Kingpin actually believes Foggy is an actual assassin. <laughs> and, and Foggy actually stands up and goes, look. And, and Kingpin's like, all right, are we, we going to talk about it? And Plumney goes, we'll talk about it on Monday. And then you know, Foggy leaves, and he has this whole adventure. It's, it's, it's a good Foggy story, basically. It's, it's, it's an interesting change of tone after all this stuff that's yeah. just happened yeah. uh, in Daredevil. Issue 186, Murd mentioned this. Again, we – Miller has so much fun with the Turk and Grotto characters. He hits – what is it? Wilbur um, – Wilbur Day. Hilts Wilbur Day in the back of the head with a lead pipe and steals his stilt man armor. <laughs> and he tries to then make a life for himself as a new enforcer with the stilt man. Of course, he's Turk, so he's totally hapless and incompetent, <laughs> and uh, he's quickly brought to justice. And, and actually, Wilbur Day is so ticked off, he shows Daredevil how to deactivate his own armor. Yeah. 
So the Stiltman armor will, will collapse on, on Turk. <laughs> now, the darker part of this issue, this is screwed up. They've been establishing for several issues of subplots that Glenn Industries is, is, is corrupt mm-hmm. and that the board is up to no good. And Heather, who's now the, the chair, chairwoman cause, uh, in place of her father, who is – she's not corrupt. She's trying to get a handle on it, but she doesn't have the knowledge or the experience. Right. And they're, they're taking advantage of her sure. basically. They're playing upon her ignorance. Yeah. And-, and Matt decides to – using his skills as a lawyer to an investigator to bring down Glenn Industries, which he does. And – Basically, Heather feels like Matt is forcing her by disassembling her whole world to marry him. Yeah, that's the way she feels. And sure. when I, I read this again, and you can understand. I mean, yeah, it, you know, when I read this again, I was like, "Holy mackerel!" Like, yeah, Miller's starting to establish Matt Murdock is—he just dug up his dead lover. Right? Matt Murdock is mentally unstable. Yeah, and not in a way that like you don't like Daredevil anymore. It's just the guy. Look, the guy went through hell. And yeah. This is what's happening now, and unfortunately, Heather already was unstable herself. You know, this is going to do do a lot of damage to her as well. Um, now we enter the last sort of arc of the Miller run, which is ninjas, ninjas, ninjas. Yeah. This is <laughs> and then some ninjas. This is major ninjas. <laughs> All right, if you love ninjas, boy, you want to read these stories. And you got to remember, like Storm Shadow and GI Joe Shane. Oh yeah. In the '80s, when a ninja showed up as a kid, you were so excited, and yeah. this is like tons of ninjas and like. Ninjas fighting each other, one one group against another. I loved it as a kid. And plus, it establishes the ch- the chaste. The chaste. Yep. You know, so now you have this sticks sticks band of of, yep. of good ninjas. Sticks ninja order. Yep. Yeah. To balance out from the, the hand, hand yep. you know, and and it just flushes out this whole world. That now in issue one eighty seven, the Black Widow returns in her late eighties and nineties gray costume that she wore. She had the short hair. That's the first time. Is that the first time That's I appeared that first costume? Time. Okay. Thank Frank, you, Frank. Did that? That was his decision to give her the short hair and have the gray costume. That was. What do you guys one. think of that costume? I don't remember it. I like to look it up. Yeah. It the, was. It was something to get used to. I yeah. mean, obviously, after seeing Black Widow all these years yeah. in just a black, you with know, like vinyl, yeah. you know, costume with the long red hair and stuff. It was. Mm-hmm. But again, look at it at the time. It's the mid '80s. Women, a lot of women wore their you hair. You know, the like punk more thing yeah. was coming. You know, so the short hair was something that was you know something different. Like he did it with uh, Yukio in the Wolverine That's right. story. You yeah. know, she had the short punky hair. God, we almost forgot Miller did that in the early yeah. '80s too. That's mm-hmm. a Claremont. huge mini. Yeah. How much work this guy did, <laughs> yeah. and really, what brief period of time when you think about it, it's amazing. So it's an abrupt change for the character, yeah. but I, you know, it, I, granted, it was a little getting used to it first, but you know, I, I like it. I think it's I like cool. it too. I still prefer her original, but well, yeah, I, I, I mean, like but, and I think yeah. that's kind of you know yeah. what we always establish and yeah. what we always when we think of her, that's what we feel. That's yeah. what we see. But she wore that oh. costume for quite a long time. Oh, yeah, she was still one. wearing it in the early '90s when I started reading. Much yeah. Avenger. So, <clears throat> it was the yeah. first Black Widow costume I'd ever seen. Yeah. Right. So it, it still kind of yeah. flicks into my mind every, yeah. every time I hear Black Widow. Now in this story, Natasha's uh, working for Shield, mm-hmm. and she ends up against the hand, and they use like foot spikes. Yeah, and she. Impaled on them, and it's because the hand has mystical powers. It poisons her. It's giving her like an accelerated form of cancer, and she's almost dissolving over time, essentially. Yeah. And Daredevil at this point, now his powers have gone the other way. They're so, they're so overreacting that he can't filter out anything. He's going mad basically because his senses are overloading. And I think he was exposed to radiation again, or something like he that. He was in previous that, issue, like in that. It was one eighty six. Yeah, he was. There was like an explosion, and and there's the classic one eighty seven cover. Please stop! He's yeah. like curled into a ball again, of using of that negative space. Yeah. It's just him and the white. And the isolation, him. yeah. 
And he goes back to Stick for help. He's in a sensory deprivation tank. And this intro is the chaste, which is Stick's ninja order. There are three members. We'll, we'll assume that are all left. Stone, mm-hmm. who is, is almost invulnerable. Mm-hmm. Uh, Claw, who wields uh, hand claws. And then Shaft, who's an archer. And we realize they're in like eternal battle with the hand. And Kirigi is resurrected. Again, this is creepy hand stuff. Members of the hand sacrifice themselves, and their life energy goes into Kirigi and resurrects him. Right. And 188, classic Black Widow cover. Oh, my God, yeah. Um, to interject here, uh, this cover uh, was on Heritage <laughs> Auctions and made it quite a stir back yeah. in May of 2010 when it went for with a premium over a hundred thousand oh dollars yeah. for this cover it was that was unprecedented nobody expected wow. that yep. and it just blew Holy the doors mackerel. off yeah mm-hmm. it's a beautiful cover oh, yep. i mean i'd love that. i just bought a uh 11 by 17 litho of it i'm gonna ha- hang in the store because I, I just think it's a, such a riveting image it yeah. is um i think that great costume could use a belt otherwise i like it <laughs> oh you just saw it okay yeah i'm flipping yeah. through pictures I, now I, I liked it when she because she appeared in um she pinged her, it was Punisher War Journal when Jim Lee was drawing it, mm-hmm. and she was in a splash. He was she was in one of the stories, and he drew a splash page of her swinging through the buildings. and And I thought, God, that that even looks better. You know, what I mean, it was just something that Jim Lee did it, and and I thought it looked better when he drew her yet beside. So I was sold on it even more. Yeah, I like it too. Now, in issue one eighty eight, uh, I like this a lot. The chased. Kill Kirigi really – they just dispatch him. Like you realize how powerful Styx ninjas are. Well, you think you know? about it. There's yeah. all – the hand has is like endless. Yeah. And the chase is three members plus Stick. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's like how is that a balance? But when you see how powerful they and just, how quick they, they dispose of They kill him like in a couple panels. They just then you realize yeah. obviously how much of a formidable force they are. Yeah. And this – I'd forgotten about this. In issue 189, Natasha has a heart heart with Foggy. Like what's going on with Matt? Now, of course, Foggy doesn't know that – Matt and Daredevil are one of the same, whereas Natasha does. They're yeah. having this conversation. And they're both talking about how he's acting strange and you know he's not himself. And Foggy says to Natasha, how good are you at forgery? And Natasha writes these notes. This is screwed up. <laughs> where, where one goes to Heather because Heather's agreed to marry Matt at this point because mm-hmm. she's kind of broken down. One goes to Matt, and it's each letter is telling the other, I don't want to marry you anymore. Yeah. And I was like, "Whoa! I totally forgot about that." <laughs> Pardon my French, yeah. but what a mind fuck! I mean, yeah. that is, I mean, to to take two of your closest people and for them to sit there and collaborate and to do this and corroborate to that that, that you know to to send a letter to each one of the opposing not posing but <laughs> a couple and yeah. and to tell basically like a dear John letter to yeah. both of them. And unfortunately, in the titles where issues we're discussing, that's not revisited yet until after. This era, we should point out that Heather Glenn commits suicide on issue two twenty. Yeah, she hangs herself. Yeah, this is after she and Matt have completely broken up. But I mean, um, this this yeah. I mean the, the events that took place in this Miller run destroyed oh, her. Absolutely. I mean the the underpinnings had been, had been set, you know, like in in the one fifties uh, before Miller came on. But obviously, he ran with it with all this oh. stuff. And like you said, when you start when you analyze all this you know, this mind screwing that goes on it's it's no wonder why you, that poor young woman i mean yeah you, you, between you, what she had, she had to yeah. deal with as a child with her father right and everything going on then trying to manhandle that business which she had no yeah. grasp of the of the of the of the level of what was going on and then obviously getting involved with matt murdoch daredevil and it just it just what a sad it's a know, tragic character it is now issue 29 also natasha dies and then stone 
using his mystical powers, restores her. He gives her some of his life energy. That's the way it seemed. That's what they seem to be implying. Yeah, it's like there. a transference of yeah. life energy. It's like yeah. you, you, like when when they resurrected Kerrigy, yeah. those hand members died. I mean, Pants. it's ninja magic. <laughs> they take the life force from them and yeah. and put into another, and that's how they're able to bring somebody back from right. the dead. But so, stone is so powerful; he, he can give it some of it and still and live. Still basically, live. Yes. yeah. Now, issue one ninety, which is also a double sized issue, as issue one eighty one was. Um, is the final battle against the hand. And uh, actually, I'm sorry. Pri- I think prior to that issue, Stick sacrifices himself. He does. Yeah, he, he and um, – Was that in 189? I think that was in 189. Yeah, it was in 189. Thank you, sir. So It was him and another one, right? Well, Claws killed in battle with the hand, and then Shaft and, and, and Stick, Stick use their life energies to absorb all the hand assassins and kill all of them. Right. They, like, explode essentially. Right. Um, and Stone gets out with – He's the Stick sells stone. You need to keep going to continue the battle. And he takes Natasha and Matt with him. Right. And the story is also a flashback on what happened with Electra in her past. And they reveal that she tried to join the chaste. And Stick said, we can't have you. You're too corrupted by yeah. your hatred. Yes. You, there's no place for you here. Right. So she's another, there's another outcast. You know, yeah. So there's and another... she goes back to her original sensei in Japan. He says, well, they, the chaste didn't take me either. They're so severe. He says, but the hand will be looking for you now. And the hand trick her into killing her own sensei. Yeah. And then she's, she joins them. She's corrupted. But eventually she leaves them. Right. And now the hand want to kill her. They want revenge for her betrayal. And we find out the hand are going to try to resurrect Electra to make her like in their thrall basically. Right. Make her another Kirigi where yeah, she's exactly. a mystical assassin. Well put. And Daredevil is forced to go to the kingpin because he needs to find out where the hand hideout is. And, and kingpin says, well, all right. You and I are going to – Work together now, and the, the kingpin again pulling on the spider webs of his syndicate finds out where the hand are, and Daredevil, Stone, and Black Widow, who's now restored, they take on the hand, and during the battle, the flames and the, the Stone is the killing it's in hand a members. Church, lift, isn't it? It's in a church. It's yeah. like a desecrated church. Yep. And Matt is so taken seeing Electra. He tries to transfer life energy to restore her. Well, at her. first, when they're doing yeah. the battle, when yeah. they're when they're battling the hand, they interrupt the ceremony yes, of them it. trying to resurrect right. Electra. And while they're fighting, when they interrupt the ceremony, they're fighting the hand. And when he's in the middle of the battle, all of a sudden he hears a heartbeat. That's right. Thank you. From That's Electra, right. yeah. and he's thinking she's alive. So all of a sudden, his whole focus. And Stone's being killed. He's like yeah, overwhelmed Stone and Black, by they're getting numbers. overwhelmed by all yeah. these ninjas, and his focus completely goes to Elektra. Yeah. It's like he completely ignores everything else in his well, surroundings. Stone is saying, Murdoch, you got to back me up. Then he gets stabbed in the back by a hand assassin. Because you find out that he's only impervious when he's aware of the attack. Right, exactly. So, so then Murdoch goes down, and he's like, I've seen all this stuff done. Yeah. I'm going to try this, and he tries to channel life force into Elektra. And then the Kingpin's minions break in. They machine gun all the remaining hand. This is a great kingpin, and the, and, and the kingpin goes to Daredevil. You needed me. Yeah, we, you and I, we're the power in this city, and basically saying we have to maintain the balance between the two of us. And he drives away. Yeah, and Stone is about to behead Electra, and he goes, "Wait, she's pure." Murdoch purified her. So in his attempt yeah. at resurrect yeah. her, what life force he imposed in her helped purify. The well, you evil assume his her. his nobility basically. Right. And Stone vanishes. All that's left is, is his ninja garb. He's gone. We don't know what happens to him. And then she's gone. And she's gone. And Matt and Natasha, uh, Natasha go off. And then we see th- – th- the art here is 
beautiful. Oh, yeah. I think it's primarily Klaus Janssen in these pages, actually. Yeah, you're, um, you're, you're at the point now where yeah. Frank's just doing breakdowns. Yeah. And it's Electra scaling the wall to the Chase Sanctuary again, but this time she gets over she the wall. She makes it, yep. And then the last oh, – it's a beautiful splash page, splash page oh, yeah. of her removing her hood, and now her, her headpiece is white rather than red. And she has a look of contentment on her face. That's how the story ends. Right. And you don't know if at that point if you're ever actually going to see Electra again. So, but it's a cool ending. Oh, it's, it's tremendous. I mean, it's like yeah. it's a triumphant ending. Yeah. You know, the, the character who you you know now, it's like I said, the character was alive for twelve issues, and then he she's killed. Yeah, and obviously it was very impactful because everybody fell in love with this character. Yeah, and now ten issues after she was killed, she's now resurrected. Yeah. You know, but in but in this pure form, so it's kind of like a new character, but still the old character. And then, as you mentioned, I have it right here. When Miller later did – this is a great book, The Electra oh, Lives phenomenal. Again graphic novel. I don't want to spoil it too much for people who haven't read it. I, yeah. I don't think I've actually okay. read that myself. Yeah. Did you? Um, I don't believe I have. Oh, it's awesome. Yeah, it came out in uh, 1990, so a little bit down the road. Yeah, quite a few years later. Yeah. You moved your uh, mic there, sir. I'm sorry. Yeah, it came, it came out in 1990. But in that story, uh, like you said, it's, it's Miller's definitive wrap-up of the Electra saga, but uh, you know, well, Marvel didn't see it that way. And it's not so. just even the Electra saga. And Bullseye, And too. Bullseye as and well. And Bullseye, too. Um, you know, so it's kind of like his you know, kind of like his final say in the whole storyline that he did you know, for all those issues. This is kind of like his uh, uh, you know, last blast. You and know. Miller's style here is very reminiscent of the kind of Sin City style. Mm-hmm. You start to see that very blocky. Yeah. And the color art by his wife, Lynn Varley, is yeah, this amazing is they, in this book. This is the first time I think that. they worked together. Yeah. And that's when they started, you know, dating on this. And then obviously the next thing they did, I mean. I think she colored Dark Knight. I mean, she I'm, she did. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> she also colored issue number 191. Yes. Yeah. She did number 191, and then they did do Dark Knight Returns, and then then they did this as well. And I think that they got married before this came out, I think. But. The last issue we're going to discuss uh, is 191. This is Miller's last issue of this initial run right. on the book. And it's Terry Austin inking Miller yeah. Penciling, which looked I thought looked great. Mm-hmm. And – <laughs> the whole story, Bullseye's in bed, you know, incapacitated, where he was left in issue 181, and Daredevil's sitting there with a 38 caliber revolver. And it's him thinking. You assume he's talking to Bullseye, Yeah, it's, right? it, the narrative leads it's, it's it that way. It's a caption narrative. Yeah, it's yeah. not word balloons. Right. And he's also reflecting on, whereas Daredevil, he tried to intervene with a, a, a young kid whose father was a criminal, and the kid's world was totally torn apart by it, and there's a gun involved. And the kid sees Daredevil use violence against his father, which traumatizes him. So Daredevil is also questioning his his own methods as he's, as he's having this one-way dialogue with, with Bullseye. Yeah. And he's basically playing Russian roulette for with both Bullseye of them. throughout the story. Yeah. And at the end – and then at one point he puts the gun under his chin. Click. And he goes to Bullseye. He goes, click. He goes, well, out of bullets, I guess we're stuck with each other. Yeah. It is a phenomenal – way to end Miller's first run on that book. And all the psychological underpinnings that he was exploring, they kind of all coalesce uh, in that story. Well, think about it. I mean, you think about Bullseye being in that bed, being immobilized. Is, yeah. You know, he's powerless, which obviously, which is his whole motivation against Daredevil to begin with, because nobody's ever had power over Bullseye. Yeah. And Daredevil brought that in, which is why, you know, Bullseye became completely motivated. Yeah, to defeat him. Yeah. <laughs> and there he is, can't do a goddamn thing. And there's Daredevil playing Russian roulette with him. You know, he can't do – he can't talk. He can't move. He can't do anything, you know. Now, as we 
wind up this checklist, I just want to mention a couple things. Uh, obviously, Miller will return to the book a couple years later, uh, which is Born Again, mm-hmm. which <laughs> – Well, he did. He actually returned in issue two 219. Issues, yeah. Um, and then obviously came back in 227, and that's when he did yeah. Born Again. And again, we're going to plan to footnote. Yeah, we're going to do that issue by issue. For me – That's the plan. Yeah, that's the plan. <laughs> we're doing it. it we're not planning. We're doing it. Yeah, we're going to do it. So for me, if I had to pick – that is my that is my favorite comic book story of all time. I have something very yeah. – you know, I'm going to share, but I, I'll do that when we do okay, that because but, – but it's – I'll just say this to listeners. If you have not read Daredevil Born Again yet, okay, read it. Yeah. It, it is – for me, it's the definitive Daredevil story. It, it's all kind of the culmination. A lot of the themes Miller was was covering in his mm-hmm. initial run, especially when it comes to Matt Murdock's mental state, mm-hmm. and it's probably the ultimate kingpin story. Yeah, and it um, is one of the best comic stories ever. Yeah, one of the best literature stories. So ever. that's something we're definitely going to look at in greater detail. A couple more things I want to mention: the Love and War graphic novel that came out, I think, about '86, mm-hmm. which is Miller and Bill Sinkovich. It's kind of a, a, a story between these issues. Mm-hmm. And Born Again, where – Sienkiewicz, by the way. Sienkiewicz, I'm sorry, where Vanessa is still like in her catatonic state, mm-hmm. and the kingpin hi- like forces this famous doctor to try to bring her out of it, and he abducts the doctor's wife as insurance, and Daredevil gets involved trying to rescue the wife who's bl- also blind. The, the woman is blind. Yes, rescue. you're right. You're right. I forgot about that. And ultimately in the story, the kingpin is forced to let Vanessa go to Europe with this doctor, and it's a major – Sort of victory for Daredevil over him, and this is kind of the lead-in in a way, moving towards Born Again, which I think comes out not long after that story. And then, if you're interested in Electra, besides the Electra Lives Again graphic novel, which I highly recommend, although mm-hmm. it's considered it's considered a what if now. Mm-hmm. Um, the Electra Assassin, which also came out, I think around eighty six, eighty seven. Yeah, it's through Epic, right? Yeah, yeah. It's Epic Land. That's Miller and, and Sinkovich, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Orson Kevich. It's Sinkevich. I'm sorry. I keep mispronouncing it. Quarter in the jar. Keep going from quarters in the jar. Yeah, well, I mean, Um, Christ, we've all gone through it. Sure. You know what I mean? (laughs) Um, God, that story is – That's bizarre, It's it's whacked, but it's great. There's a lot of satirical aspects to it. They're not really sure where it falls in continuity, which is on purpose. She does think about Mad a little bit in it. You kind of think it's before all the events we've just talked about, but it's her interacting with this – Deranged shield agent mm-hmm. and, and what <laughs> Garrett? <laughs> yeah, it's it's great, and and I, I don't want to spoil that one too much either. But if you're interested in Electra, that's required reading. And and uh, to tag on to yeah. the 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 Frank Miller Daredevil run, uh, you mentioned Slaughter, the assassin, the yeah. assassin, and his, uh, his you know, guild, his guild yeah. and stuff. That storyline culminates into a uh, Marvel magazine, the Bizarre Adventures. Oh God. I'd forgotten about that, and she um, she goes. It's an Electra story. It's right? an Electra yeah. story. It's a black and white Frank yeah. Miller written and drawn, and she goes after Slaughter. You know, after the things that had transpired in the in the Daredevil comic, and she so that and he written- lives on like this little isolated island. Yeah, and he go and she goes to this thing, and she hunts him down, and she kills him. And it's like this really little cool story. I that thought that was a Nazi she was killing in that story. Was it? I think it was a Nazi. I thought it was. I, I've read the story. I know we have to double check. Yeah, I'll have one, to double check that. One of us is right. I don't, I'm just not sure who. <laughs> and then the other thing that they added on this was uh, there was a there, there was a what if story that There's what two. if what if Electra had lived and then what if Matt Murdock became an agent of Shield, Shield. which yeah. are both excellent I, and both involve Miller. And especially, yeah. I, I highly recommend the what if Electra had lived. Oh, it's because wonderful. 
because it tells an exact, obviously, what-if story, but it also grounds in reality. And it gives them a happy ending. Well, yeah, well, no. Well. <laughs> and in, in essence of the what-if story, yes. yes. But then the story doesn't end there. True. I don't want to ruin it for people right. to have it, but there's, right. it's you're more right. to yeah. it than that. So it's not just this what-if story and they throw it out there. Just yeah. I mean, there's significance to it as far as I'm concerned. It's, it's a classic what-if. Yeah, it is. And it's, and it's Frank Miller. And Terry Austin did the inking in that as well. Yeah. Um, so those are two things that I wanted to make sure that – I'm glad you did, sir, because I've forgotten about those. So. I can only imagine what our time is at this point. Well, yes, <laughs> we are just about two and a half hours. All right. Closing <laughs> thoughts, comrades. We knew it was going to happen. i got to go to work soon. <laughs> we knew it was going to happen. Yeah. Closing thoughts. I'm going to have to try to pick some up. I, I've always wanted to read some but never have. Um, it was interesting reading the 181 to kind of not only check that off a bucket list – so to speak, but just to see see it for what it is and then talk about it right away. Um, I never knew that graphic novel really existed like that. I, I've heard the title but never yeah. realized what it was, and I'm amazed that in that day it was 50 bucks mm-hmm. um, is what the inside cover says. Oh, wow. I, I yeah. forgot yeah. about that. Yeah. It's brutal. But it looks oh my great. God. Yeah. <laughs> 1990. Holy yeah. that, was, wow, wow. that was a shelling. Uh, well, th- this was limited edition too. Yeah. I think. Right. Well, right. that one was. Yeah. Because yeah, yeah. I think I think regular cover price was thirty years. It's $35. been since released as a soft cover. Even so. Yeah. 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 But, but still, still, yeah, for a hardcover book. Yeah. Um, but a lot of interesting things to to think about. Stuff that I never knew about Daredevil, Electra, Bullseye, Foggy. The whole story that quite interesting. And that's why it's like, you know, you can kind of read the issues. It's like you don't have to completely you know read all the issues but if you do it's it's a wonderment you know what i mean well, it's like there's so there's so it, it all ties together not only to couple that with i never read born again and i picked up the issues a while back at one of your sales Honored, in sir. preparation of mm-hmm. a footnotey type episode so we have to do that i'm looking forward oh, to we that will. as well we have to do we that. will without question because I mean that is so significant. This is so significant, but that even you more can't so. do. You can't talk about Daredevil's history in spot in spotlight without talking about Born Again. In depth. No, it is one of the most revered comic yeah. stories ever ever done. Yeah. So, any other closing thoughts? Well, <laughs> what notes do you have, Mister Murd? I did. I'm, I have nothing to contribute in that. Why? Nothing. I mean, you guys have been very thorough, and I didn't have that much to begin with. So oh, okay, we're, we're, we're cool there. But uh, just uh, looking over your shoulders at uh, the many collected volumes of Miller's work that have been circulating throughout the studio as we've been talking here, I've I've been struck with the quality of the artwork. Um, I, I'd sort of had a suspicion that uh, since this is early Miller, uh, perhaps some of the um, certain creative idiosyncrasies, shall we say, of his that have turned me off in the past might not have completely taken root. Yeah. Uh, so and, uh, seeing what I've seen here and being impressed by it uh, has kind of borne that out. I might actually – it's not that I've been anti-Miller Daredevil necessarily. It's just that uh, having read certain other things of his that I didn't like uh, has made me less than motivated to seek it out. But uh, this has helped to swing my attitude a little bit in the other direction. Oh. And I you – know, for me as a fan, I mean they, they started to release – some of the trade paperbacks now not as collected miller you know like they did um i forget the name of the one trade paperback but it has the early stuff that frank did um and then there were some other trade paperbacks there were so many versions over the yeah. years now trade paperbacks and then they decided to do the visionaries yes and um and when they did the visionaries you know like you were showing it in your visionaries mm-hmm. that you have then you have the omnibus uh versions of it but those when they did the visionaries they recolored all the artwork all the artwork was completely digitally recolored, you know, when they produced that Visionaries and released them. Um, so I got suckered into buying them. Even though I had some of the trades before, they didn't have all the issues in trade. Right. 
So finally, when they released the, arcs, yeah. the, the Visionaries, they had all the Frank Miller issues in trade and then recolored yet besides. I was like, sold, sold, sold. <laughs> so I bought all the trades, which is what pants you have there. Yes, then. yes. But then I, I have got, a lot of issues myself. But, but I then I went on eBay and got the limited edition hardcovers, all three limited edition hardcovers that Graffiti put out, where Frank Miller actually did an original piece of artwork oh. for each limited hardcover wow. and signed and numbered them as well. I got those, and then when they released the omnibuses, they also released or I say omnibuses, 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 omnibuses. All right, all right, all right. My goodness, omnibuses is poor Latin, Brian. I they can't released, even get away with it. Uh, I'm a poor Latin. They released these the, the stories from the omnibuses in three tray paperbacks that are the Miller Jansen stories yeah, again. That's right. mm-hmm. But in the and the, I ended up buying those because in the bag it was like a DVD. They had all these bonus extras, and I think if I'm not mistaken, if you look at those. Uh, those versions of the reprinted stories in the back, they show, like, Miller's breakdowns and Jansen's finished artwork. They have some of that in the omnibuses, too. Yeah, that's that's yeah. in those trade paperbacks. Yeah. So I ended up buying those because then they also had, like, script and some other yeah. types of things like that. So it was like DVD. It was like, oh, the extras. I got to buy them again. So I have three versions of <laughs> of these collected uh, Frank Miller stories. I've never lines. done that with anything. I don't but know what you're talking about. Justice but, League. <laughs> so, uh, Justice League. <laughs> I can't get enough of it. Yeah. Pants, any closing thoughts? Oh, let's get out of here. All right. <laughs> we shot our bolt. And this episode is once again brought to you by our newest sponsor, Comic Castle. Check out their website at comiccastle.com and use the coupon code CGS10, that's CGS10, at checkouts for an additional 10% off your order. This episode was brought to you by InStockTrades.com. Go to InStockTrades and look up Daredevil and uh, pick some up if it piqued your interest. Visit us at ComicGeekSpeak.com to send us an email. The address is ComicGeekSpeak at gmail.com. To leave a voicemail, the number is 267-702-6642. Stop by The Comic Forums and let us know your thoughts on the Miller Daredevil age. Follow us on Twitter. Like us on Facebook. We would like to thank everyone who contributes to the show. Please send in some Muddle the Merds. We have some of those coming on future episodes. And as always, we are uniting the world's mightiest heroes, one listener at a time. Thanks, Kevin, for coming for this episode. Sorry. Jump the gun. Jump the the gun, man. I'm going to get out of here.